fellow listeners what up what up what up how is everybody doing this weekend for your aew revolution week this my friends is episode 204 of no one's ready for wrestling as i talk professional wrestling and give my honest opinion about the news that i read and the shows that i watch I am your host, the one, the only true phoenix that rises from the ashes. It is your boy, Shino Phoenix. And I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in for your weekly uh, episode wrestling podcast. That way you guys can have a show to listen to on the weekends. And we got a lot to discuss. We got AEW Revolution this Sunday. I will give my predictions for uh, that show. We got news. We got a lot of injury news coming from the AEW side. Um, we got WrestleMania news, update on Stevie Richards. Uh, we got news on King and Queen of the Rings. When will it take place? And we got news on Sonya Deville, which I have a lot to say about this. And we will discuss... Brock versus Omos, who pitched it, um, what really happened, my thoughts on the match, and trust me, this is a podcast where you want honesty, I'm the guy that's going to give it to you, so this is going to be one of those episodes. Now before, if anyone asks, did I watch Ring of Honor? No, I did not watch Ring of Honor because I was watching The Mandalorian Season 3, which was fucking excellent. I will watch uh, Ring of Honor because I heard that was a great show. And I heard this was the best uh, show of the week. Even with even though when I said NXT was the better show out of Dynamite and, and Monday Night Raw. Which, spoiler alert, that's my facts. But I'll take a look at it after the recording. But I'm, I might cover it. On the next episode, we'll see uh, how, how I'm feeling about it. Because if I heard good things about this new era of Ring of Honor, then I got to see it for myself. All right, my little compadres. If you want to know more about me through my social medias, this is where you can find me. Um, <clears throat> write it down or put it on your phone. That way you can know. Follow me on Twitter, Shino D Phoenix. I do live tweet on occasions, Raw, NXT, Dynamite, SmackDown. And uh, I won't be live tweeting for SmackDown as of this recording because I will be going to a wrestling show that day. So, just want to give you all the heads up because um, I record this on Friday. But uh, you can find me there. I do my Wednesday shout outs. I like to spread some positivity to those who need it. And I like to promote my Twitch down there. Speaking of which, if you're not following me on Twitch, holy fucking hell, guys, I do have a lot to say. Number one, I just got a new webcam, and it is perfect. I love it. One of my viewers bought me, and I reacted on stream, like he legit bought me a new microphone, which will be coming really, really soon. And I, I cannot tell you how blessed I am to look. How much I love streaming so much. And the next thing we're going to do for my streams, I'm going to uh, get an LED board 
That way I can write the names of people who gift subs or subscribe to my channel or who cheer biddies. Like, I'm going to do all of that for you guys. So, but if you want to see gaming stuff, make sure you follow me on Twitch, Shino Phoenix. I stream Fall Guys every Wednesday. It is the best streams that I've ever done. And I'm really proud of them. I'm really proud of the Fall Guys Wednesdays. And I like to make, I like to ha have fun with people, you know. I like to uh, do what I do best. But not only that, I do stream Overwatch. I do stream Fortnite. I'm a variety guy, so you can find me anywhere. Now, on Instagram, you can follow me, CoolManSip. That's CYP, by the way. I do post on Instagram stories when I go live or some motivation stuff. And I post my clips on there, as well as on TikTok. Which you can find me, uh, Shino D Phoenix. And make sure you like the Facebook page. No one's ready for wrestling. That way you guys can stay up to date on the podcast. That way you guys can know when the episode is out. And, and, <clears throat> excuse me, if there's an update regarding the podcast. So, we got a lot to discuss, my friends. So, let's talk AEW for a bit. And not much, well, there's only two big stories that I do want to mention one involves Vicky Guerrero, and one involves MJF. But let's start off with uh, CM Punk first. Now, CM Punk was the topic of social media this week after recent comments made by Mark Henry on the uh, AEW, on Busted Open Radio. So, <clears throat> so, now, if you didn't see Busted Open Radio, Mark Henry would be the guy who says that he will bring CM Punk back. Now, discussing Punk's future, Henry stated that he didn't think Punk was a cancer to the locker room, something pe reported to be the view of some people in AEW. He also noted that he thinks Punk is an outsider just like him, and that if the decisions were left up to him, he would bring Punk back to AEW. Now, Punk hasn't wrestled since last year's All Out when he beat Jon Moxley for the world title and hasn't been seen in AEW since the All Out presser. And you know the All Out brawl with the Young Bucks where he was on the media scrum, he blasted Cole Cabana for no fucking reason, he, caught, he blasted the Elite, he blasted Hangman Page, and he got into a fight with the Elite backstage at the show. Now, now a fan commented on an article about Henry's comment where the person stated, Keep CM Punk retired. Now, <clears throat> now this was on Instagram and somebody actually, like, CM Punk actually responded. I'm literally on Twitter right now. And uh, and CM Punk responded with this. You like your own comment. Bold. I'll wrestle again just to upset you. You'll watch no matter what. CM Punk wins Savage Tweet. And look. Look, I'm going to say this. CM Punk... 
CM Punk coming back. Like, this is a difficult situation for Tony Khan. But I, I love that burn CM Punk gave to that fan. If you like your own comment and hoping that it's going to get attraction, it, it ain't going to work out in your favor. But this is um a huge thing for uh, Tony Khan because he's in a difficult situation if he brings back uh, CM Punk to AEW. Now, and I just want to coincide with this, Dave Meltzer uh, noted in the Observer Newsletter that Tony Khan could face some issues if CM Punk comes back. That being said, and Punk, and for those who are asking, is he going to make his return? No, not yet. Not far from it. So, he said, and I quote, Tony Khan is legit in a really hard position. Bringing Punk back and not putting him on the top probably won't make Punk happy. And putting him on top, perhaps he'll draw very well, but that's not a lock. And those who carry the company when he was gone won't be happy he's back if he's on top. Then you have the talent that won't want him back. Unless he makes amends. And that would be the, the best thing for everyone. And try and apologize to smooth things out. But I don't know that is in his that is in his card, which is why this solution becomes hard. And literally, it, you don't want to have and I get it, CM Punk is a draw. He, he is, whether you want to admit it or not, but, and I still stand by this. It, I, I would not want a guy in my company that's going to act like a child in the media scrum when you name somebody who had fucked nothing to do with the pay-per-view. And you're supposed to be representing the company as your world champion. Instead, you, you made yourself look like a complete asshole. But... Look, I'll give CM Punk this. He called out a fan who liked his own comment. Number one, if and I'm going to say this again. If you like your own comment, you we need to have a discussion about your life choices. But on the other hand, he had every... Like, that was just a burn. That was a burn that Punk was waiting to... Like, he had that ammo ready on Instagram and just be like, dude, you're just going to watch me wrestle anyway and you'll be happy about it. Like, that was a savage burn. So, and I know people are going to say, oh, he likes the attention. Oh, he's an attention whore. Yada, yada, yada. But, I, I just don't see that. Like, if, and look, if he could make amends, then he will earn my respect. And look, respect is not given, it's earned. We don't even know if CM Punk might come back to AEW. We don't even know. Because, look, you got a storyline with MJF right there. That would be nice, but I just can't see it. Let's talk about Vicky Guerrero. And it looks like Vicky Guerrero will no longer be in AEW. She is finishing up with the company. Fightful Select reported that Guerrero and AEW mutually agreed not to renew her deal. She is under contract until July, 
On her Twitter account, Guerrero talked about starting a new journey and betting on herself. She also stated that she's at the crossroads in her journey as she looks towards new opportunities. Now, if we go back, Guerrero was signed to an AEW contract in, in late 2019, debuted on an episode of Dark, on commentary, and transitioned into a managerial role for Nyla Rose. And she's been managing Marina Shafir. So, and Vicky Guerrero tweeted this. <clears throat> Today, a new journey begins. My life is fulfilled with excitement and new opportunities. And she followed it up by saying, Beautiful sunrise this morning and happy I'm home. Thank you, Jesus, for reminding me to bet on myself. I'm at a crossroads in my journey to take the road unpaved and welcome the doors that are opening for new opportunities. So, I mean, I'm happy for her. I'm, and look, I'm glad that she's taking a chance on herself. And I would recommend that to anybody. If you take a chance on yourself, I guarantee great things are going to come. Like, you just got to be patient. But, I mean, she really didn't do much. Let me be honest. She didn't do much on AEW besides managing Nyla and Marina. Now, where does Nyla Rose go from here? I don't know. Where does Marina Shafir go from here? I don't know. We haven't seen them that much on AEW television. But, um, I wish uh, Vicky Guerrero nothing but the best. And, um... Hopefully, things work out for her. Now, we got injury news. We got a former AEW star revealing that he fractured his vertebrae. And if you're talking about who, I'm talking about Marco Stunt. So, he shared some concerning news regarding his health on Twitter. And the former AEW star hasn't wrestled since the 21st of January. And there's a good reason why. He hasn't been wrestling or being active on social media. So he found out after getting an x-ray that he fractured his vertebrae. And his vert... And ah, that's painful. That is painful. He... he his vertebrae is also rotated. So this is the following statement from uh, Marco Stunt. Wanted to give everyone an update... I haven't been super active on here, and there's some reasons. I've been dealing with a lot of pain recently in my lower back and ended up doing something to agitate it more. After going to the doctor and getting x-rays, they notice that I have fractured and I have a fracture in my vertebrae as well as rotated as a rotated vertebrae. They also noted a disc being squeezed out of the side like a toothpaste. Ugh, Jesus Christ, just hearing about this. Let's see how they describe it. As of right now, I'm still going to doctor's appointments and figuring things out. I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but I like to thank everyone that supported me over my career. I've suffered quite a few injuries that have taken their toll on me. But I'm hoping to recover and come back better than ever. I'm keeping my head up. Uh, I love you guys. And 
just hearing that, that sounds fucking painful. That sounds like it fucking hurts. Um, but uh, I'm sending my prayers to Marco Stunt. And hopefully they find... Hopefully he gets the right doctor to, like, cure that pain. He might have to have surgery to fix that, um, to fix that vertebrae. To have your vertebrae rotate? Jesus Christ. And I'm, and guys, I'm holding my back just hearing about that. Oh, my God. But I'm sending prayers to Marco Stunt. I hope, um... He gets the right doctors, and I hope he, um, they, uh, do some medical procedure on it. That way he could heal in time. Cause if that's, cause reading that, it sounds like his career might be in jeopardy. Like if you read that quote, it sounds like it's a career threatening situation, but, uh, I hope for the best and I hope, um, everything's good for Marco Stunt. But continuing with the in, uh, injury news, um, Tay Mello or Ty Mello revealed that um, she's been dealing with protrusion on her back, another back injury, for several years, and it started acting up before the street fight. So, so pretty much, she revealed that they were she was injured in a street fight that took place on the thirteenth edition of Rampage. That Mello teamed with Anna Jay, and she faced off against Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale, and it was a bloody match. And Ruby and Nightingale got the win, but Anna suffered a dislocated rib in the process. So, Ty Mello said, and I quote, "Yes, I have protrusion on my back." So it's something that I've been dealing with for more than t 10 years. Jesus Christ. Um, I know how to go about it. So before the match, I started feeling a little bit, feeling it a little bit. The doctors in AEW, they're super good. I told them they helped me see if I was, if it was okay to do it. They asked me and I was like, I'm going to do it. Let's go. I'll never say no. Let me tell you, unless I'm really dying, I was like, I'm in pain. I knew I was in pain. The day before, let me tell you, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk at the airport. The walk was so long that we had to get a wheelchair for me because I was not able to walk for too long. It was really bad. Now, Time Mello recalled getting treatment the morning of the match and the women in the match were worried about her, but she pushed through, which I give her credit for that. I will give Ty Mello credit for pushing through the pain during that street fight. She, she deserves a round of applause. Like, and to anybody who's listening, I'm no athlete. I'm no, uh, genius, but to, ha to see athletes push through the pain in pro wrestling to continue the match when, you have your colleagues who are worried about you. That takes a lot of balls, you know? Like, I, I like that shit. So, she continues on to say, then after the match, I checked everything. I went to the doctor. I went to a couple of different doctors and our doctor in AEW. So, I'm not cleared for now, 
But I will be really soon. I'm good. Don't worry. I want to be clear, but the doctor is trying to hold me back a little bit to make sure I'm 100%. They told me I will be cleared in the next couple of weeks, so I'll be fine. So, and that's good news. I'm glad that she said that she's going to be fine, but... Uh, Man, just, again, I, I give my re mad respects to Ty Mello for going through that Rampage main event through the pain. So, all I can say is take as much time as you need, Ty Mello. And once you're back at your 100%, I can't wait to see you again. And another person who is out is Fuego Del Sol. And I saw... The footage on how he injured his foot. It looked nasty. It looked absolutely nasty. So. Fuego Del Sol. Announced that he dislocated his right foot. And only had one minor fracture. But on an Instagram post. He revealed that he has been diagnosed with five fractures in his foot. So this is what he wrote. Injury update. With the original x-rays last week after they confirmed the dislocation of my right foot, they believed I only had one minor fracture. After the CT scan, upon further examination, today they determined I actually fractured my foot in five different places. The doctor told me that the fact I finished the match was unbelievable. Adrenaline is hell of a drug. Now let's talk about some about the big thing. Ligament damage. The orthopedic said the main ligament around my lisphranic bone is a little displaced. But I'm not completely separated. So now I have to go see a foot specialist to determine if it needs surgery or if I can get if it can heal on its own. If it can heal on its own. The recovery is six to eight weeks because all my bones are in the right spot, but the fracture just needs time to heal. But if I need surgery, it could be three months. So expect another update within the next week, and I'm hoping for the best. Not the news we wanted. I'd be lying if I said I was a little frustrated. Focusing on my recovery and advancing my non-physical ventures like Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and content of the likes to keep me busy and my mind off of this. Any love and support sent my way is appreciated immensely. Now, for those who don't know, he was at the SPW show on February 19th, and he injured himself in the Extreme Title 3-way at an SPW show while wrestling Guapo Lupe and Daniel Torch. So, and he is wearing a cast on his foot. So, hopefully it's not something that he could have surgery. Hopefully it's just he could heal for the next few weeks and see if he's ready. So, like, and like I said, I saw the footage. It looked nasty. It looked brutal. And it made me cringe a little bit. Just, and again, the fact that he finished the match with a broken foot, an injured right foot, that's props. That's dedication. 
And I loved every second of that. So I wish him a speedy recovery, and I hope he doesn't go under the knife. Now this next story that I'm about to talk about, it just shows how fans can be incredibly fucking stupid if you compare somebody to someone that they're not. And for that, I'm going to get a drink and I'm just going to go off on a little tangent. Ah, okay, here we go. MJF did not take kindly to a fan comparing him to former WWE star Alberto Del Rio. Or as I call him, Alberto Del Dipshit. Another fan replied under the first fan's tweet and said, except MJF isn't a racist, and LOL. MJF responded, except I'm not a racist, an abuser, a bad prom- promo, a poser, a bitch, and a drug addict, and an overrated wrestler. The racist remark doesn't seem to be directed at Alberto, but an issue between Alberto and former girlfriend Soraya have been well documented. Alberto was also accused of aggravated kidnapping slash sexual assault by another woman who he was with at the time. Those charges were dropped because the witness was missing. In May of 2020, police said that Alberto tied the woman's hand with boxing straps, then put a sock in her mouth as he sexually assaulted her for several hours with various objects. The investigators also said that he punched her in the back and the victim does not remember much after he put his hands around her throat. PW Insider reported on December 10th of 2021 that the court records reflect that earlier today there was a missing witness and that the charges have been dropped. Del Rio's bond has also been returned. The case is officially closed and he's free and clear going forward from all criminal liabilities in regard to this case. Like, let me uh, just say this for one second before we talk dynamite. (sighs) Fans are fucking stupid. Some fans, not all of us, but some fans are fucking stupid. First of all, You do not compare MJF, you do not compare MJF to Alberto Del Rio. What the fuck comparison do you see between these two, huh? Is it the character that he's playing? And comparing to real life Alberto Del Rio? Do you even think before you even type? Do you feel like, oh, if I say this, I could probably get attention and that's what fans fucking do. Like, seriously, how can you be this fucking stupid? I don't see no comparisons. Like, if you ask me, do you see comparisons between MJF and Alberto Del Rio? Fuck no, I don't see no fucking comparison. Have you lost your damn mind? Like, seriously, have you lost your fucking mind? You gotta be joking me. And I'm glad MJF responded. He put the motherfucker in his place. He responded by saying, I'm not a racist. I'm not an abuser. I'm not a bad promo. Like, I'm not a poser. I'm not a bitch. 
And I'm not a drug addict and an overrated wrestler. If there are times in life I wish fans would think before they even tweet stuff or write stuff on social media and you and you constantly be the laughing stock by the other people in the IWC shutting you down for being a fucking moron. Like seriously, I I just cannot it's really it's really fucking embarrassing. Seriously. It is absolutely embarrassing to be a fan of pro wrestling when you see shit like that. Just I'm definitely embarrassed. Like like I would, if somebody compared me to Alberto Del Dipshit and I find out if it was you, I will slap you in your face. Like, say, for instance, if I was a pro wrestler, okay? If I was a pro wrestler and you compare me to somebody who is who had a bad press in recent years, I would not associate with that asshole. And I will slap the fan in the face for thinking that way. Because that is a dumb comparison. Absolutely dumb. And please, to anybody... Before you even think about putting it out there on social media, make sure you look at the facts. If you're going to compare MJF to somebody, like, I'm not comparing MJF to anybody. He's fucking MJF. And I saw what Bully the Clown, I saw Bully Ray making a comment about MJF making his entrance and he's fucking smiling when you're supposed to be angry. That's a stupid fucking comparison. Like, that's stupid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bully Ray. Maybe because you don't smile too much is because nobody wants to see your dumb ass. Oh, my goodness, man. Like, fans are so fucking dumb. That's all I can say. Fans are just so fucking dumb. And that's just how I see it. But I just want fans to do better. Like, I really want fans to do better. Now, AEW Dynamite. The final build towards Revolution. We were at the Cow Palace in Dolly City, California. It's one of those shows. Like, like last week. It was one of those shows where it was, it was either good. You got good matches and great promos. The opening and the ending was great, but the middle stuff was just not good. But we kicked things off with the AEW All-Atlantic Championship on the line as Orange Cassidy took on Big Bill, and I thought this was a really good opener. Not great, but good. And I think it's a rarity we see Big Bill go one-on-one on Dynamite. I honestly think it's a rarity, but... um. Very, very good stuff between these two. Um, That's all I could say about it. Not much. And then we had a backstage promo from John Moxley after his match with uh, Evil Uno. And he is still bleeding up a storm. He is still bleeding up a storm. Rumor has it that the blood was spewing all over his face everywhere he walks. And no... And no... I'm, and no, this this is just a joke, alright, we do this on the show, just like to have a little fun, so 
He says, blood tastes like victory and life. He claims he lives for this. And if you don't want to go down the dark alley with him, as only one comes out. And he reminds Adam Page that he wanted this. He says, this time, I will... He will leave no doubt as Paige is a great wrestler and a man, but he's not the same animal as he was, which I thought was a great promo. Now, they had Paige respond, and I'm just fast-forwarding a little bit. <clears throat> um, Paige, he tells him that, look, I can't take my friends. You can, He can't take my friends from me, my memory, and this Sunday, I will take everything away from Moxley. You took away my spot at the top of the food chain. And he admits, I'm not the same animal as I hate violence. But this Sunday, I will be the most bloodthirsty son of a bitch he has to be. Which, again, I thought this was good, but not as great as Moxley. <clears throat> not as great as Moxley, but it was it was good. But I, I'm... I thought they did a really good job selling you to this match that's going to take place at Revolution. Which we will do our predictions after Dynamite. So the Elite. They weren't advertised. They came out. And they're about to make their entrance. But all of a sudden, the Tony Khan special! And by Tony Khan special, I mean the lights go out. House of Black flashes up behind them. And... The lights go back out again, and you hear the Elite getting beat down, and the House of Black, they pose with the titles, and later during the show, you had um, you had House of Black backstage with the trio's titles, and Malachi Black says, they'll leave the titles here, but this Sunday, the Elite should know they already lost. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Let me be honest with you. I am thoroughly disappointed on this build. And I know I'm not the only one. Now granted, I know this is going to be a good match. But I've just been disappointed. I feel like they could have done more with this story. And you know what's even sad about this? It, it just feels like Omega and the Bucks, they don't feel like a big deal than they were, um, like, what, two years ago? Like, two years ago or a year? Like, something like that? Well, it, just, it just doesn't feel right, you know? Like, the match should be good, but... And I, I think another thing, Tony Khan has done a disappointing job at presenting Malachi Black... In my honest opinion, and I know everybody's been saying that same sentiment. Like, I've been saying it about Miro. Where the fuck is Miro? And yes, he disagreed with creative, but this is what happens when you're in this business. But Malachi? And, and I know how great Malachi is, but I, I just don't like how Tony Khan has presented Malachi Black on AEW. He should be a serious top act. That that's just me, you know, and I and I hope I'm not the only one that sees that. Like I just felt that the bill could have been a little bit better, and I'll say it again when we get to the predictions. 
We had the Face of the Revolution ladder match, which probably would have been on the, uh, it would have been on the card for Re AEW Revolution, but they moved it to Dynamite because the 60-minute Iron Man match is going to take up a lot of time. So you had Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, Kanosuke Takeshita, Sammy Guevara, Action Andretti, AR Fox, Commander, and Powerhouse Hobbs, hometown boy. Now, I enjoyed this match. I thought this was really good. The MVP of this match was Commander. And I've seen what he can do. There was this part in the match. He walks on the top of the ropes on one side, goes on the other, hits like a twisting plancha on everybody, which got a holy shit chant. And Commander is somebody I like to see more of. And get this. And to the surprise of absolutely nobody, WWE has Commander on their, their radar after that performance on Dynamite. So, you I don't know what they're what they might do because look he might get they're probably gonna limit his move set. We don't know if he goes to WWE. We don't I don't see him going to WWE. I just see him freelancing. Hell, if there was a cruiserweight classic, he would more than likely be in that. But I thought this match was great. Um, another good thing about this match was Kanosuke Takeshita. He had Commander. Like, they were on the ladder. Commander took a fucking blue thunderbomb off the fucking ladder. I have never seen anything like that. That was absolutely mind-boggling. And, of course, you had Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. They were brawling in the back. They pretty much weren't even there. And if you saw Lexi Nair interviewing Eddie Kingston... He pretty much said, I quit AEW. And people were just freaking out like, oh my goodness, is he quitting? He's really quitting AEW? I immediately knew it was a work. It was a story. Because, number one, number one, he is at Ring of Honor. He is at Ring of Honor. Okay, that's number one. They moved him to Ring of Honor. He's probably going to feud with Claudio for the Ring of Honor world title. And he's still with the company. That's all I can say. So, to anybody who's thinking, oh, he legit left, no, he did not. This is all part of a story. Now, Powerhouse Hobbs was super over because, like I said, it was in his hometown. And I saw people complaining about the referees holding the ladder for Powerhouse Hobbs to grab the Sonic the Hedgehog ring. And let me be real with you guys. Those people who complained about that probably did not, did not understand. Didn't know that I believe it was, it was John Cena and Edge. They had two referees hold a ladder to make sure it stays steady. When John Cena delivered the FU to Edge off a ladder through the tables. Does anybody not remember that? Like WWE did it. AEW did it. So I don't see what to complain about. And the winner made sense because look. Powerhouse Hobbs 
He has a history with Joe. He has a history with Wardlow. It made the most sense. I would not mind Takeshita winning it, but Hobbs was the right choice. And Joe was on commentary for this. So Hobbs is staring down at Samoa Joe. And Joe, like Warlow comes out and he takes out the securities like the putties from Power Rangers. Like that. Just like that. Like the putties from uh, the Power Rangers that are easily dispatched of. And he powerbombed one of the security guards on the others. So, yeah. But I think this, I think the Joe uh, Warlow match should be really good. But the right person won. Like, and I've been saying, where, where's my boy Powerhouse? And we got him. And I'm happy to see him more on television. We had Chris Jericho against Peter Avalon. You know what this felt like? And I, I'm going to be real when I say it. It felt like watching Rampage. For that match. But look. Peter Avalon. He got some offense. On Jericho. But Jericho won with the Judas effect. No not the Judas effect. The code breaker. So after the match. Jericho. Got the bat Floyd. Drops Avalon with a shot to the head. And. He carries on until Ricky Starks arrives. And Jericho then gets on the mic. And says. He will beat the hell out of him. On Sunday. But while the Jericho Appreciation Society aren't allowed on Sunday, that doesn't mean they can't be here tonight. So that led to Jake Hager, Daniel Garcia, hitting the ring in a three-on-one assault. And I've been asking, who is going to help him? Nobody. So Jericho gets the final blow with the Judas effect that left Ricky Starks laying. So, I mean, this was fine, but... Really not much I could say about it. It's just... It's just... Meh. And the build has been confusing. Even I'm losing my brains... Uh... With this build. It, it just... It just doesn't feel right. You know? We go to Renee Paquette... Who is in the ring... With Christian Cage. I like this. I like this. I thought this was good stuff. But the uh, ending part was really cheesy. So... Christian Cage comes out. He says, I can't wait to come to not come back to San Francisco because he says, I'm embarrassed for Jungle Boy. And he was done with him until he turns on Dynamite and he heard him say that he was going to win singles championships this year. Now, Cage says, over my dead body because I am going to win a singles title myself this year. Um, he has been watching some of Jungle Boy's matches and he's been winning with roll-ups and that's fine. But do you want to do that or beat someone down? He already knows the answer as Jungle Boy had him dead to rights, but he hesitated and turned it around and showed him how a real man handles business when he left him in a pool of his own blood and piss. He says Jungle Boy has no inter interest in the legacy of a champion of a championship. He just wants to take it home and show his family and make some memes. His problems with him and his generation 
is that they treat his business like a video game, spoken like a true veteran. Cade says nobody can do the things he can in the ring. He is one of one. He treats this business like an ATM machine, and he is not done milking it dry. But this needs to end. And he challenges Jungle Boy to a fight this Sunday with no rules or regulation. If Jungle Boy shows up, he will show he's like his father and he is a Hollywood hack. He claims that Jungle Boy doesn't have an ounce of what he does inside. And all of a sudden, the lights go out. The Tony Khan special. The Tony Khan special. The lights go out. And we see a video of Jungle Boy digging a grave. And is showing highlights of his time with Christian Cage. The heel turn from Christian Cage. The concerto. And Jungle Boy is crying. While he was, while he was looking at the grave. I, and we had a headstone that has Christian's name on it and after that Christian looks spooked and he just walked out of the ring like it was alright I, I thought this segment was fine but again Christian Cage is great as a heel as good as he is as a baby face he is fantastic as a, as a heel and sometimes the good guy can pl- play a really great bad guy and I'll and I like the promo he cut. But the ending stuff, the video package, kind of cheesy. Tony Schiavone was backstage with uh, Jamie Hayter. And she doesn't know which is sweeter. Beating one bitch or two this Sunday. Britt Baker then says, Soraya can look, but you can't touch. Talking about Nikki Bella. That's Nikki Bella's uh, theme right there. The opening parts of her theme. As she will never have the belt. So, and if you notice, there was one person missing. There's one person missing. Because if you remember, there was Rebel, there was Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Well, she will not be, um, she will not be, uh, at being used for, uh, television. So, Meltzer reported in The Observer that Rebel is no longer being used on television alongside Baker and Hayter. And he wrote that Rebel is no longer being used. We were told that Baker and Hayter, they are baby faces, and that it felt she didn't work as part of the act at this point in time. Which is fair enough, but we don't know what's next for Rebel. I don't know what's next for her, but, um... Hey, she's a face. That matters. Well... Like Baker and Hater, their face that makes the most sense to me. But where does uh, Rebel go? I don't know. We'll just wait and see. We had a rare FTW championship match between Hook defending his title against Matt Hardy. And the stipulation was that if Hook wins, he has to wrestle Stoke. No, Stokely Hathaway has to wrestle him. And there was a close near fall. Like, while the ref was distracted. And speaking of the refs, referee, I do want to mention this. In the opening match, you had Big Bill 
chokeslam Orange Cassidy through a table. And the ref sees this with his own eyes. Shouldn't that be a disqualification? But I guess the AEW refs are a little too lenient. Just, just want to throw that out there. But behind the ref's back, Stokely took off the cast, smacked Hook with it, Hardy goes for the pin, and Hook kicks out at 2.8 point, like 2.89. He was that close to losing the title. But Hook applied his finisher on uh, Matt Hardy, and he immediately tapped out. Because look, Matt Hardy does not like Stokely Hathaway. And what was funny about it was Stokely Hathaway was in a fetal position and the realization kicks in that he has to wrestle Hook. I, I find that to be hilarious. I thought that was funny. But it was a fine match. It was all right for what it was. Um, <clears throat> Hook retained, and rightfully so. We had Riho making her return against Tony Storm. Two women who are not advertised for a revolution. Just want to keep that in mind. But Riho, she got the win over Tony Storm. The match was okay. It was fine for what it was. Crowd was mixed on this. They were half cheering or just eh. But you had the post-match angle where Storm attacks Riho. Then you got a brawl with Baker. Meanwhile, you got Soraya, Jamie Hayter. They're fighting. Ruby Soho comes in and you got this big pull-apart brawl. I hope these three women, Ruby, Soraya... Because look, Soraya's run in AEW right now has been disappointing. It's been an absolute disappointment. And... This is a big match for her. And I'm going to mention this again in the, in the predictions. This is a big match for her because, like I said, her run has been disappointing. And I don't know how these three, like these three women could put on a good match or it could be a complete clusterfuck. And it's a 50, 50% on both of them. But, um... Um, that, that's all I could say about it. I mean, at least the brawl was okay. We had the Casino Battle Royal. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. This sucked. And this took too long. This was not even good. Like, Best Friends was supposed to be in it, but Orange Cassidy and Danhausen they replaced them. So you had the Dark Order, you had Josh, Ale not Josh Alexander, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. You got Claudio and Willa Yuta who are now heels of the Blackpool Combat Club. You got the Lucha Bros, Top Flight, fucking Aussie Open. You got the Butcher and the Blade. You got the Kingdom. You got, like, you, like I'm trying to find the right words to describe it, but the crowd didn't even care. I, I, I didn't even tweet about this, like... I was so bored to fucking tears. This sucked. And I'm battle royal fatigue. Like, I I've had enough of it. Like, I don't want to see another battle royal for the rest of this month. Or for weeks. And not just AEW, but WWE and any other wrestling promotion. I am done with battle royals. Like, this was not good. 
I still don't understand why this is going to be a fatal four-way when it could just be a simple one-on-one. That's all. But Dan Housen and Cassidy are best friends. They won. You got Lethal and Jarrett and the Guns. They appeared and beat down on the winners. The acclaim came out. This was not good. This was not good. I I gave that a thumbs down right there. But at least we picked it up in the main event. Which is a segment with Brian Danielson. And they showed a, a package of the rivalry between MJF and Brian Danielson. Which I thought was good. Renee Paquette was in the ring with uh, Brian Danielson. And she shows a post from 2014 as MJF was dropping out of college. And he was Quitting to chase his dream of being a wrestler. Now Danielson says, Over seven years ago, I was forced to retire. Two years later, I came back and said, If you fight for your dreams, they will fight for you. But that leads to MJF coming out. And Danielson shuts him up. He's like, he tells him, Shut up. I've been listening to... To why you hate me for weeks. And why you think you deserve all these things. But you have done nothing to earn them. As you've taken every shortcut that he can be a champion. He doesn't think that MJF has fought for the title. And if there's one thing he deserves. is It is his fiance leaving him. Which got a big reaction to the crowd. He reminds him that pinning shoulders to mats and banging rats is what MJF has said. And he wouldn't have his daughter marry someone like that. He fought for everything. Through concussions, shoulders, injuries, the authority, which had a good payoff. And I was there. Even though I worked it, I was there. And retirement... He left a job that would would have paid him for the rest of his life because he wanted to fight. He wanted to fight. And he came to AEW. He talked about fighting for his dreams. And my new dream is to become the world champion. And I'm willing to fight for it. So this Sunday, MJF, be ready To fight with everything that you have for 64 minutes. And if you don't, then I'm going to, then you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. This was excellent. They close out the show in the right way. And not only that, what I really loved about this segment right here was you never see MJF speak. Like, this speechless. And Brian Danielson just told him, bring your A game or else. And these guys absolutely sold me for this match. Speaking of which, it is prediction time for AEW Revolution. It's going to take place in San Francisco at the Chase Center. We got eight matches on the show. The one that was recently added is a no-holds-barred match between Christian Cage 
against Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Uh, I'm going with Jungle Boy for this one. Because the last match they had was really short. And it was because Christian was injured. So I think this should be really good. And I think Jungle Boy needs this win more. So I got Jack Perry winning this. We have the AEW World Trios titles on the line. As the Elite defend their titles against the House of Black. Now this match is going to be good. But it puts Tony Khan in a big, difficult situation. In my honest opinion, what do you do? What do you do? If the House of Black win, because usually by my standard, they stood tall. If they win, I mean, it would make the most sense. I think everybody's been saying the House of Black should be the team to beat the Elite. And if they don't beat the Elite, what the fuck's next? What's next for them? And, and I said in my Dynamite review, I just feel like Tony Khan has done a disappointing job presenting uh, Malachi Black like a big deal. And that's just me being honest. And I said the same, and I mentioned the elite, like they don't feel like a big deal than they were back then. Like Kenny Omega didn't feel like a big deal when he returned to New Japan to wrestle Will Ospreay. And he felt like a bigger deal in New Japan than he does in AEW. How do you accomplish that? But I, I honestly don't know who could win this match. But if the Elite got put down by House of Black on the go-home show, then something tells me that the Elite are going to retain. And But I want to see House of Black win. But I'm going to play it safe. I'm going the Elite. I think they're going to retain. We have Jamie Hayter. Defending the AEW women's title against Soraya and Ruby Soho. This is an easy one. I'm going with Jamie Hayter. And at the end, Ruby Soho joins up with Soraya and Tony Storm. And then you got your little war right there. There's going to be... And, and look, with Soraya, like I said, her run overall has been disappointing and underwhelming. Like, you got her going around trying to be the NWO spraying paint on somebody, which it just, I just don't see how this is getting her over, you know? Like, it's just an utter disappointment. That That's the best way I could say it. It's, and I'm happy for Ruby. I'm happy that she's getting a spotlight. But um, Jamie Hayter wins is either going to be good or is not going to be good. We have Chris Jericho against Ricky Starks. And the stipulation is that the Jericho Appreciation Society is banned from ringside. I'm going with Ricky Starks. I think Ricky Starks is going to win this match. And the reason I say that is because... Like, look, he has beat, he's beaten Jericho. He's beaten Jericho. Like, he's already well-established to be the next big thing in AEW. But my issue is that this story is just so fucking confusing. So I need to beat you again to prove that the win wasn't a fluke? Like, I don't know, man. But it's an easy way to get Ricky Starks over as the next big guy, the next big thing. 
for a Dynamite for AEW in the future. And I, I will say this. If he wins the world title, he could bring that title to Louisiana when they come down here. And we could have a party in Bourbon Street or something like that. But I'm going with Ricky Starks. I think Ricky Starks wins this match. Jericho does not need the win. He's just there to put over a younger guy in Ricky Starks. We have Samoa Joe versus uh, defending his TNT title against Wardlow. Uh, this should be good. I enjoyed the story of of their feud. And look, Samoa Joe's the Ring of Honor television champion. Honestly, I think he would be better by holding the Ring of Honor television championship instead of the TNT title. So I'm going with a title change. I'm going with a title change. And I'm going to say Wardlow wins the TNT championship. We got John Moxley versus Hangman Adam Page in a Texas death match. I think this is going to be good. And it's going to be a lot of blood. I already know it's going to be a lot of blood. But these guys, they've been having really great matches. And I think this should be the end of this feud right here. And if you had to ask me who should win this, well, I'm going to go with uh, Hangman Adam Page. I think Hangman Adam Page should get the win, and you turn Moxley into a heel. I think that's the best way you could go about it. So I got Hangman Adam Page to win this match. We have a fatal four-way tag team match as the Guns defend their AEW tag team titles against the acclaimed Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett and Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen. Honestly, I want to be excited for this, but I'm not. Why is this a fatal four-way? I don't know. Isn't this the way to get Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen on the pay-per-view because they are pop they are like the popular acts of the company? I don't know. But I feel like this build has been pretty dull. This build for that tag team championship match is just not as good as I wanted it to be. So the guns, which again proves my point that, I mean, they do get heel heat, which is good. But I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's, it's going to be good, but it's just not going to be on that level of great. But I, I'm going with the guns. I, I believe they retain... Really not much I could say about this match. It just feels like a throwaway. It should have just been the Guns versus the Acclaim. And you could have had the heartbreak where Billy Gunn joins um, with his sons again. And that would have been a great emotional story you could tell. They could still do it, but the Guns, they're going to retain. And in the main event, we got a 60-minute Iron Man match for the AEW World Championship. MJF defends against Brian Danielson. This is the match I am looking forward to the most. And both of these guys did an amazing job selling me to this match. Like, I'm really excited about this. I could see MJF win. I definitely see MJF retaining, but I could see Brian Danielson, like, in the last possible seconds, he's got him in the uh, LaBelle lock. Or he hits the Basaku knee in about... Five seconds. He hits it. He's slow to cover. And once it reaches one, it goes one, two, and the and the bell rings. The time is over. MJF retains. 
And who does he move on to? I don't know. But I think this is going to be an excellent match. Um, and I, I just don't see Brian Daniels, Danielson winning. That's just how I see it. But that's my uh, predictions for uh, AEW Revolution. I think it should be a good show. Not great, but good. They could surprise me. Surprise me. That's all I want. Alright guys, before we continue on with the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Amino. Now, you may be asking yourself, Hey, uh, Shino, what the hell is Amino? Well, it's an app that is pretty much a network of communities that you can explore, discover, and obsess over things that you like. Say that you love video games, you want to join the video game communities on Amino, they have it. You like music, they have it on here. Like different genres. Like, for me personally, Wrestling. Wrestling is one thing I go, that I really love. And I'm part of Wrestling Amino, and I met a lot of amazing people on here. So, and it's fun to interact with everybody because they are very friendly. Very friendly people out there. So, once again, if you want to try out Amino, it is free. I am part of Wrestling Amino right here, and... Like, this is where I got started before I got into podcasting. So, if you would like to download this app, it is 100% free. I am telling you, it is worth it. Download the Amino app, and hopefully I can see you guys on Wrestling Amino. And now, back to the show. We are four weeks away from the grandest stage of them all, the Super Bowl of pro wrestling, well, the Super Bowl of WWE, WrestleMania 39, as we go Hollywood. Now, I look back, I took the chance to look back at some of the old WrestleManias. Like, for instance, I look back at WrestleMania 35, and you had like 18 fucking... No, 16 matches on the card, plus four pre-show matches, which I don't know if we're going to have any pre-show matches on this year's WrestleMania. We've rarely seen a pre-show match on pay-per-view, to be quite honest. Like, uh, we haven't seen any any, um, pre-show matches this year under the Triple H regime. Now, I don't know if we're going to be seeing some of it, but I look back in this, and I'm glad that they're doing two nights, but Triple H apparently wants a smaller WrestleMania card, which I think it, it would be nice. So, WrestlingNews.co, they were told that Triple H wants a small card this year, which means that lots of names that have been working on TV and live events throughout the years will be hanging out backstage during the show. Now, prior years, if you look back at WrestleMania, they would do everything to get everybody on the card. Like, you got the undercard people, the mid-card guys, people who were not even featured on the show. 
Like, there was an effort to include as many wrestlers on the card as possible, and a battle royal would be added to the card to at least give the undercard a chance to be featured on the show. Now, WrestlingNews.co was told that this year there is no battle royal planned, and only a small handful of talents are being used. Now, there are some unhappiness about some of the slots on the show being used by legends and celebrities. Obviously, things could change, but those that uh, Wrestling News spoke to were not happy about not being involved in the company's biggest show of the year in Los Angeles. And look, I I do not have a problem with the show being a little bit small, like for both nights. The reason I like this and no Battle Royal, that's time filler. That's time filler. And if you're on the main story on Raw or SmackDown, you're going to get WrestleMania. Cody and Roman Reigns, main story. Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, main story. Asuka and Bianca Belair. I will talk about that. Even though they, even though Bianca and Asuka is going to have a kick-ass match, I, will, I do got something to say about the build towards their match at Mania. You got Finn and Edge. That's pretty much a dead giveaway. Like, what I love about a smaller card is you give it time to breathe. Now, yes, there will be a filler match here and there, but not everybody should be on the card. Not everybody's going to be on WrestleMania. Either you work your way, and this is just me, either you work your way to the top to get to that spot or you're just going to be unhappy because you don't like a smaller Wrestlemania card work for it that's what you got to do I actually have no problem with this if you're going to do it for both nights and you give every match a chance to breathe and let it flow instead of the audience sitting there in silence and just being tired if you have a long ass card Even if it's in both nights. Give people a reason to work hard. For next year's Mania. And I like the idea that Triple H uh, presents. Like if there's no Battle Royal, good. Because that's overplayed It's welcome. In my honest opinion. Not everybody needs to be featured on WrestleMania. Like if you're unhappy about it. Work hard for it. That's all I can say. Just work hard. Just work hard. I don't have an issue with this. I don't mind a smaller card. Give it more time to breathe. For both nights. That's what makes WrestleMania fun. So, I just want to get that out there. We do have an update on Stevie Richards. And thankfully, this is good news. Um, After the former WWE, ECW, and WCW star Stevie Richards... Noted on Instagram that he's dealing with some health issues and shared a photo of himself using a walker and what looked like a medical facility. A lot of fans became concerned about him. It was sudden as he posted videos of himself looking healthy just a few weeks before the photo was shared. PW Insider reported that the word was going around that Richards has been facing a number of issues related to his back slash spine 
that has slowly gotten worse over time. As Now, I did see the video, and they don't have all the answers yet, but thankfully, I've been following this. He's making a little, like he's processing. He just got out of the hospital, which I think is great. Like, if you are not following Stevie Richards on Instagram, you got to stay up to date on what's going on with him. Um, And I, it was just really, the way I would put this, it was, um, it's just sad to hear, you know? It's really sad uh, to hear what he's been dealing with. And I, I'm a fan of Stevie Richards. I, but... He wrote the caption when he was in the hospital. Um, the prayers have definitely been felt by us, and we appreciate them so much. Please take a moment to pray for those who are in worse medical condition and are alone in the hospital. It breaks my heart to see the those laying in the hospital bed without a hand to hold, nor someone to learn, no, to lean on while in pain. Hashtag love one another. Hashtag help others. Prayers. Still work and prayers is up. So, like I said, um, so this is what he posted um two days ago and recently. Um, he got this charge from the hospital and he has a very long road ahead of us. Thank you again for all the prayers, but continue to add prayers to those still in the hospital or anyone anywhere suffering uh alone. And Two hours ago, Stevie Richards uh, posted this. Uh, I'm learning many lessons early in this recovery process. Most likely, I will become impatient again and learn these lessons many times over. I forgot to mention in the video, I had a very painful spine of biospeed where they hammered a needle into my bone and disc. So... I'm again, I'm praying for Stevie Richards. I want him to make a speedy recovery. Like all like I've been, I've met the guy. He is really nice in person. Honestly, he is such a nice guy in person. I just want, um, him to know that I'm praying for him. I'm here as a fan. I, I want him to make a full recovery. And I'll do whatever I can to just keep you guys updated on Stevie Richards, uh, his uh, recovery. I'm glad he's discharged from the hospital. And um, like I said, it, PW Insider pretty much nailed it right there. Um, it's pr probably something in his spine. And that's what it was. So for Richards' sake, for Richard's uh, sake, I want him to heal up. I want him to take it slowly. Don't rush it. I want him to... Because look, this guy... I, and I, I say this a lot. This guy came to Wildcat and he won the World Heavyweight Championship. And I was really ecstatic about that. And Stevie Richards is a really great wrestler. So when he's 100% and he's ready to get back in the ring, I could tell you if Wildcat gets him first... I would be so happy to see him back in Wildcat. But um, right now, the recovery process is most important. So I am praying for him. And I want uh, everybody here to pray for, um, for Stevie Richards.
Another person we got to pray for is superstar Billy Graham. Um, superstar Billy Graham, an update from his situation. He's battling COVID, and he's still in the hospital. Uh, the latest update from his wife via his Facebook page noted that both superstar, superstar Graham and his wife recently picked up the virus. Because of this, his wife cannot visit him and cannot work. So... The following was posted. The latest update from Wayne's wife, Valerie, is rather dire. In addition to Wayne's, on, to Wayne's ongoing uh, medical issue, resulting in them spending $200 a day out of pocket for his care at a rehab facility, and they both now have COVID. Valerie has used up all her sick and personal time at her job and is no longer getting a paycheck while she is out with COVID. In addition, she cannot visit Wayne due to having COVID and is having difficulty getting any updates on his condition. They are facing serious issues. So to anybody listening, pray for both of them. Like if and also if you it will also be great if you guys donate on the GoFundMe. Um like this is serious. This is really serious. I, I just, I don't know why. I I don't like expecting the worst, but this is what it feels like. But I'm still going to continue to pray for uh, Superstar Billy Graham. This is really serious, guys. Like, um, when people say COVID's no, like, COVID is no joke. It really isn't. Like, please, please pray for us, Billy Graham. Hopefully... He gets out of the hospital. I just don't want to expect the worst. Like, I really don't. And it's it's sad to hear that, you know, because, like, I just don't like hearing stories about this. I really don't. But, um, please pray for uh, superstar B Billy Graham. And if there's any update on him, I will let you guys know on the podcast because, being in the hot and for him to be in the hospital while battling COVID, I hope the doctors are doing everything they can to uh, make sure he's healthy. Like, really sad to hear that. Um, I want to talk about Naomi before we talk NXT. Um, her Funkadactyl friend Cameron, uh, Ariane. Andrews explains why Naomi hasn't returned to WWE. Probably she might not be uh, returning to WWE because she's going to be at WrestleCon. So that's another sign in my eyes that um, Naomi might be done. That's just that's just m me speculating as a fan would do. Like we speculate. Now, last month, it was reported by Brian Alvarez that Naomi is expected to return to WWE. There was speculation at the time that she would show up as a surprise entrant in the Royal Rumble, which did not happen. Now, Alvarez said, of course, there's no official information on Naomi, but my impression is she will be returning to WWE. Actually, you can report that my belief is that she will be returning to the WWE because... She will certainly be returning to WWE. I will just say that. Maybe she might return after WrestleMania. Who knows? 
Dave Meltzer reported the same week that there's talks between WWE and Naomi were ongoing, but nothing has been signed. Fightful reported on January 18th that one higher up in WWE was confident that she would be back. Now, apparently, the reason why she wasn't back in the ring at the moment is because she underwent soldier, uh, shoulder surgery. And this was said by uh, her Funkadactyl partner, Cameron. So she said the following during an autograph signing. Um, she's recovering from shoulder surgery. I want her to answer the question for herself. I know she's recovering from surgery. So, And Andrew also claimed that she got a call to, to return to WWE last year. And the plans were that, were that she and Naomi would win the tag team titles. Now, we haven't heard from Trinity. We don't know what her mindset is. But um, if this is according to um, Cameron, we'll hear from Naomi if this is true or not. I want to hear from the horse's mouth, which is Naomi. I want to hear Naomi's mouth and explain why she hasn't returned to the ring yet. Maybe she's still talking with WWE. And I just want to hear from Naomi's side. Like, if she has shoulder uh, surgery. If Cameron was correct about that. Now... Now, I did see a photo with her and her husband, Jimmy, at Solo Sokoa's wedding, which, congratulations to Solo Sokoa. He is now a married man. I am really, really happy for Solo Sokoa. Like, honestly, I've been a fan of him for a, a while. And I'm, I'm just happy for him. I'm happy for him, and... Like, I'm... Like, now he's a merry oose. So, and I saw the photo. She looked, she looked like she's doing okay. I don't see, um, like, you know, a cast on her shoulder. But, um, like, I just want to hear from uh, Naomi's mouth. I want to hear from Trinity. And we'll probably hear if somebody asks her at WrestleCon. So, we're just going to have to wait and see. Now, I do have some NXT stuff I do want to talk about. WWE's reportedly high on an NXT star, and that person is Sol Ruka. And I've been impressed with Sol Ruka ever since. Um, Sol Ruka, whose real name is Calix Hampton, has impressed WWE officials. After signing with the company, she made her in-ring debut last June, where she continued to work on the NXT Level Up show before making her NXT TV debut last September. Last December, she went viral when she debuted the Soul Snatcher, which is fucking great. If that move is not a DLC move pack on 2K23, that's a fucking problem. While speaking on Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer noted that WWE officials are high on Soul Ruka. Now, he said, and I quote, this may not be, they're really high on Sol Ruka for obvious reasons. Zoe Stocks is probably the best opponent to put her in there with, and Electra Lopez is probably near the bottom of the list of opponents to put her in there with. I guess Lash Legend may be worse. Damn. 
But look, Sol, Ro- Sol Ruka is great. I will say that until I am blue in the face. Sol Ruka is phenomenal. And she debuted, like she debuted um, on NXT in September. So September, October, November, December, January, like February, seven months. Like she's been wrestling for seven months and she's picking it up like quickly. Because look, she has a background in tumbling and gymnastics. And it really works in her favor. Same with Tiffany Stratton. Which I will talk about Tiffany Stratton when we talk NXT. But I like Soruka. I think she's going to be a major, major star in WWE. Given the time. She's going to be a big star in NXT. Mark, mark my words. Mark my words. And I have an idea what they could do with Sol Ruka. And it's a feud that I would love to see. Trust me, I would love to see this feud when I discuss NXT. Speaking of which, we continue. NXT is going to be taping upcoming NXT episodes on their road to uh, Stand and Deliver. So we got Roadblock next week. And Stand and Deliver is going to take place on WrestleMania week. And PW Insider reported that WWE slated to hold a live episode on NXT every Tuesday night as normal for the next two weeks. However, on March 21st, and this is a programming note, on March 21st, the company will tape that night's episode of NXT before taping March 28th uh, episode in advance. The reason is due to logistics and needed uh, logistics needed with WWE production staff and talent required to be in Los Angeles that week. So, if there's spoilers, like I already know what some of the plans are for NXT Stand and Deliver, and I'll reveal what they are for me on NXT. But I got the card for Roadblock. And it's stacked. It's pretty stacked. So we'll we'll talk about that. And speaking of NXT, we could expect to see Cameron Grimes on the main roster pretty soon. And this is something that I've been waiting to hear. Because I'm thinking to myself, where the hell is Cameron Grimes? So it looks like we might see him after WrestleMania. Now, back in December... Grimes was reportedly going to be called up to the main roster after his last match where he lost to Joe Gacy. Now, as previously reported by Dave Meltzer, WWE still planned to call him up to the main roster, but they don't have any storylines for him, so he has just been waiting for that to happen. So Grimes returned to action before Friday's episode of SmackDown, and he worked a dark match where he lost to Ashanti the Adonis. PW Insider uh, reports that there have been rumblings internally that Grimes is expected to be called up to the main roster after WrestleMania. Because usually after Mania, you get call-ups. And it's been reported that Grimes would be called up, but the timing has been unknown. And I think after WrestleMania, it makes sense. In my honest opinion. I think it makes the most sense. Because. Like I think that would be a great way to debut him. Like say. 
we get to see what he's all about. Like, I got an idea. Have him feud with Ali. Because Ali's been a happy guy since he got a win over Dolph Ziggler. So why not? I think it would make the most sense. A debut in Cameron Grimes feuding with Ali. That Give them 15 to 20 minutes. They will tear the fucking house down. If not, you could debut him on SmackDown. Feud with Karrion Cross. Feud with LA Knight. Relive the feud with LA Knight. I think that was that will give something for LA Knight. I, w- I would love to see that. They rekindled their feud in NXT. Like, where would I see him benefiting more? This is a tough one. Honestly, this is a tough one. I could see him on Monday Night Raw, but at the same time, I could see him on SmackDown. But um, they could surprise me. Either Raw or SmackDown, it could fit better. We'll just see where that goes. But it's about time. Because I want to see Cameron Grimes on the main roster. Because I guarantee he will get over. With the crowd. With the to the moon stuff. That's going to get over. And if you don't see that. I don't know what to tell you. And he's really great in the ring. He could win people over. Trust me. Like I think he would be a great underdog. But. I'm not going to say he should do like the Brian Danielson stuff, but I want to see him get a moment, to say the least. Now we move on. We now know where the Kings and Queen of the Ring will be taking uh, place. Now a few months ago, there was a talk of the King of the Ring and the Queen's Crown uh, pay-per-view taking place this year. PW Insider is reporting that the plan is for the show to take place in Saudi Arabia on May 27th. This is part of WWE's long-term relationship with the Saudi government, and that includes two events per year. PW Insider noted that the current plan is for the event to take place in Riyadh, but those plans can still change. The Saudi Arabian government is said to be one of the potential buyers for WWE, And we already discussed that whole rumor about them buying the company, which turned out to be false, but they're still in, uh, as one of the potential buyers. I just don't see that happening, but I would not be surprised if it happens. If the sale goes through within the next couple of months, it is possible we'll have new owners by the time the King and Queen of the Ring show rolls around. Now, Now, this is Triple H, okay? Triple H's crown, King of the Ring, and Queen's crown. The last time they did a tournament with the women in the Queen's crown tournament was fucking awful. The the finals got more time than the tournament itself. Now, if I'm Triple H, think about this from a standard. Who would be perfect in the tournament? And, and, And if he's going in the old school route and not making it like a fucking gimmick... Like Vince did. Like just. Let's give them a crown. And have them be. Like that's what the king of the ring. And queen of the ring was. Under Vince. Just win the crown. And you get this gimmick. But this time. I would up the stake. And what I would do. The winners of the respective king. And queen of the ring tournament. Gets a shot at the world championship. Of their choosing. 
which would make the most sense. I think it would make the most sense if they do it like that. Because think about it. In the old school days, if you won the King of the Ring, you get a world championship opportunity. Not just a crown, but a world title opportunity. So what I would suggest is they could use that opportunity. Like, think of it as a mini money in the bank. They could cash it in at SummerSlam, which is their biggest event, their biggest premium live event. And I and I said, if I had to pick my early win winners for both sides, for the King of the Ring, I would pick Gunther. And hell, give me Gunther versus Cody Rhodes for the World Championship. For the women's, this one's tough. You could give it to Charlotte Flair. You could give it to Bianca Belair. You could give it to Shayna Baszler. Or you could throw a wild card like a Piper Niven. Because it looks like they're building up Piper. But uh, in Saudi Arabia, I hope under the Triple H that it does better. Because last time they did this tournament in Saudi Arabia, I would... Like, they did the finals. Like, I was left disappointed at after the tournament was over. Because the women didn't get enough time. And hopefully, they get more time. They get more time. And that's what I want to see. In my honest opinion. I just don't want to see it as a gimmick change. I want to see it as they win the tournament. They get a world title opportunity. And that's that. That's, that's what makes the King of the Rings special. And I hope they go that route. That's all I ask. Now, WWE is going to begin moving to their new corporate headquarters pretty soon. WWE is preparing to move to its headquarters located at 707 Washington Boulevard in Stanford, Connecticut. Something that has been in the works for years due to it being delayed because of the pandemic. A company spokesperson previously told CT Insider the move is planned to commence towards the end of the first quarter of 2023. In an update by PW Insider, WWE will will begin moving its first group of employees to the new building later this month. They were told that the plan is to have those first divisions of the company in place at the new building by the end of March. WWE will also move their departments piece by piece to the new building as it will be a slow process as it renovates as renovations are still ongoing at the new HQ. The company also wants the process to go as smoothly as possible. The hope is the entire process will be completed by 2023 or early 2024. But there is no hard date to target it to have everyone in the new HQ. At the time of the CT Insider article being published, WWE had over 800 employees at Titan Towers. Although the number has been reduced due to the layoffs following Vince McMahon's return and the company cutting costs while looking for a potential buyer of the company. WWE has been in Titan Tower since 1985. WWE has filmed various things at the headquarters over the years, including segments, show intros, a Super Bowl commercial, and of course, my personal favorite, 
the Money in the Bank ladder matches, which I thought was good. But hey, I'm glad they're starting slow. They're not uh they're not trying to rush everything. And and, and I love the smooth approach. Makes it really, really easier instead of just um instead of just rushing everything in and not letting it breathe. So I'm glad that they're taking things a little bit smooth. And what does this new headquarter look like? We'll just wait and see. But just want to give you that heads up. Now, William Regal. William Regal is back in WWE. And we got news on his duties with the company. Um, William Regal returned to WWE on January 4th as the vice president position after asking AEW slash Ring of Honor president Tony Khan to be let out of his deal with the promotion early so he could return to WWE to work with Triple H and be with his son, who wrestles as Charles as Charlie Dempsey or Charles Dempsey. Before going to AEW, he has been Triple H's right hand man in NXT, with Triple H taking over creative on the main roster. The game wanted to bring back the man, a man that he has a ton of respect for, and help build NXT with. PW Insider reported. Some details on what Regal is doing as the Vice President of Global Talent Development. Regal attends weekly Raw and SmackDown events where he takes notes on all matches at the show and meets with the wrestlers after the bouts to give them advice about what they can do to make their matches look stronger and more realistic from an in-ring perspective including notes and suggestions on how talent can improve their selling, physicality during locking up, and reversals, etc. It was said that Regal is more or less given advice on how they can improve their final points of matches so everyone can look stronger while wrestling. And I think that's a good role. Because look, Trip William Regal, he's been in this business for many years. And sooner or later, like... People are going to appreciate what he could bring, you know? So I don't have an issue with that. I think this is great. I think this is good. Like, and uh, and and he's a smart guy, honestly. He's a smart guy, and uh, I have no problem with this whatsoever. I think this is good. And maybe we might, we're probably going to see him on television next year. And you got Drew Gulak on NXT, Charles Dempsey. And you got William Regal making his return to NXT, which would be which would be even better. Managing this tag team, catch point. I would love it. I think that would be great. Now, let's talk about Sonya Deville. I want to talk about Sonya Deville because I go back. I go back to one of the episodes which was one of my most popular ones when um, she had to deal with a stalker. And I gave my thoughts on um, <clears throat> on that entire situation. And, and, like, her home was broken into by a stalker who just did not understand the concept of the word no. So... 
and now she carries um for the, like those of you who don't know she has she got arrested okay this was first reported by TMZ they reported that Sonya Deville was recently arrested for having a firearm in her vehicle she has a registration for the firearm in Florida but not for New Jersey which is why she was arrested the villain says she's been trying to get this case thrown out and she's been carrying a firearm as protection after a stalker broke into her home a couple of years ago now I want to, before I continue, I want to stop right there. Like, Sonya Deville has every right to protect herself. So, the court documents indicated that um, the arrest happened on February 19th in Atlantic City after a, val- after a valet discovered, or a valet discovered the weapon in her car glove, car's glove box and then proceeded to call the police. Police charged her with one count of unlawful weapon possessions and a handgun without a permit. Per the court documents, she is due in court later this month. So, like, I I really want to say this. Like, I really do. Because I would not, like, I would carry my own, like, I don't have a gun, but if I did... And some some son of a bitch tries to break into my home. Like seriously, I would use it to defend myself. But like I hope, and I really hope she finds a good lawyer. Like I really hope she finds a good lawyer, cause I mean, just I don't know if it's a felony or a misdemeanor. Like, and I was in a group chat, and I agree with this one hundred percent. Absolute travesty that a woman who was the victim of a heinous crime is denied the ability to defend herself because she had the misfortune of being in a state that doesn't recognize the basic civil rights. I suspect she'll be quiet about it and hope she doesn't face repercussions, which I hope so as well. Um, like, like she had a scary situation. She was in a house. This was... And I believe this was during the pandemic. Yeah, this was during the pandemic back in 2020. And you had, uh, like you had her and Mandy was in the house and this stalker just broke into her home. Like, it was just a really scary situation. And just, I, I, and I would not mind her standing up for herself to um, have a firearm to protect herself. Like, and this was during the bill towards, like, SummerSlam, if I'm correct. Back in 2020. Like, it was back in 2020. Go back to episode 79, which I discussed the stalker situation in full detail. So you mean, like, and I know... Like, I don't know about New Jersey's gun laws. Because if somebody's from New Jersey, can you please let me know what... So, pretty much, I you can't bring firearms in New Jersey. If that's the case. But, um... 
I don't know, man. It's just like, why can't I bring something to protect myself? Because like, what if somebody is stalking me and is threatening me? What would I do if I don't have nothing to defend myself? Like, like, I hope New Jersey does better because that's ridiculous, man. That is absolutely ridiculous. I just want the best for uh, Sonya Deville. And hopefully, hopefully she finds a good lawyer so she could explain the reason why um, she had the gun with her. Like, I, I just want what's best for Sonya Deville. And hopefully, hopefully there's no repercussions for her. Monday Night Raw took place at the Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <sighs> Let me be honest with you guys. This show was boring. It was absolutely boring. And it's not the talent's fault. It's just the fact that this is an example of having a three-hour live television show, and it just proves the point why... Raw should not be three hours. They should go... If I'm Triple H, they should go back to two hours. Make it easier for your writers. Make it easier for the talent. Have it mix up a little bit. Like, feature the main stories for one week. And have it mix like the second hour be the main part. And the first part, introduce some new talents that you want to uh, push. Like, the, the three-hour format needs to go. And the people in Michigan, they did not react that much until the ending. But um, this was a boring, boring episode. Now, Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa, no Jay Uso, they kick off the show. And Jimmy says, it's, I've seen everyone talk about the problems within the bloodline. He says it might look that way from the outside in but family fights all the time. Jimmy says if you come from one member of the bloodline, then you come for all of the bloodline. He says Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have been unsuccessful at attempting to bring them down. And then say Cody Rhodes will not beat Roman Reigns. And Jimmy promotes Reigns' appearances on SmackDown this, this Friday. And he says... Sokoa and I are here to remind everyone who runs Monday Night Raw, which brings out the Street Profits. Now, Angelo and Montez head down to the ring. They mock Jimmy and uh, Sokoa, and they make fun of Jay because of his absence, because we haven't seen Jay. Um, and um, he's calling for him. In the crowd, he's calling for Jay in the entrance. And um, Ford says Dawkins, like they call him out and says, look, I don't blame him for staying away because he's tired of keeping the bloodline together. Ford said Jimmy and Sokoa have the nerve to come on our show to do Reigns' dirty work. Jimmy tells them to keep Roman's name out of your mouths. The prophet said they want the smoke and they... Started the brawl, and the opening part was meh. That's the best way I could say it. It was meh. 
But Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa took on the Street Profits. This was this was okay. I mean, not bad, but it was okay for what it was. And Jimmy and Solo, they won the match. And after that, Solo and Jimmy beat down the Profits. And Sokoa grabs a chair, places it over Ford's head. Like, placed it over Ford in the corner. He's looking to charge at him, but um, Kevin Owens runs in. And catches him with a super kick. And he delivers a stunner to Jay Uso. And he... No, not Jay. Jimmy Uso. And he retreats. So... And Kevin Owens was in a hoodie. It wasn't Sammy. It was... It was KO this time. So, KO's doing raw. More than likely, we might see Sammy on SmackDown. We'll see where this goes. Then we get to the VIP lounge. Now, this was the biggest talk. Will Brock Lesnar accept MVP's challenge to have Omos and Brock at Mania? So MVP says, I didn't envision Lesnar accepting the challenge on behalf of Omos. And Lesnar invites him to, the, to join him to the ring. MVP declines because he's scared. And it, Lesnar says, look, I have no problems with you. There's no German soup, no German suplexes. There's not going to be a suplex city. I'm here to talk business. So he comes to the ring, and he, and he wants to hear his pitch for uh, WrestleMania with Omos. Now, <clears throat> promising no suplexes will be given out. MVP gets in the ring, sits down on the other couch. Lesnar says. He wasn't insulted by what what you said last week. And he tells MVP, give me the best, the pitch. Now, MVP, he goes in selling the match mode. He, um, <clears throat> he says, Lesnar is the beast. And if his opponent is hit with an F5 or a suplex, they are done. He says, if you put your hands on a giant, then the giant puts his hands back on you. He says a beast can subdue any man, but a giant will conquer a beast. Lesnar tells him he made a damn good case, and he accepts the challenge to the fanfare of the IWC who did not want this match. And we'll explain about this after the segment. So, he accepts the challenge, and he says, we should shake on it and drink on it. So they shook hands, MVP pops open a bottle of champagne, and Lesnar says, don't do that. And he goes, go for the good stuff. And he pulls a canteen out inside his pocket uh, of his vest, and he makes a toast. He takes a swig of his canteen, then offers it to MVP. And MVP says, I would rather drink the champagne. And Lesnar sh shoves a canteen against his chest. He takes it out of fear of being attacked and acts what's in it. Lesnar says, well, it's white lightning. And MVP takes a sip and it was too strong and he spits it in Brock's face. Oops. Oops. Uh-oh. That's a bad. That's bad. 
Or if I pull the Baymax. <clears throat> oh no. So. He. So MVP looks in horror. Grabs a tissue. Brock Lesnar wipes his face. He pushes the hand off. And he hits MVP with an F5. So the match is official. So. Just to clarify. What's going on. People thought this was a Vince McMahon idea, but the card changed last week. Now, Dave Meltzer was talking about WWE going in the direction of Omos versus Brock Lesnar when he noted that there had been changes to the WrestleMania card as recently within last week. He also stated that while fans can speculate whether... The changes were suggested by Vince McMahon, who was high on Omos while he was in charge of creative at the time. If Lesnar didn't want to do the bout, then he wouldn't. Now, Melsa said, and I quote, I can't say that was due to Vince, but I can say that was a change. Most of this WrestleMania card. Most of the WrestleMania card was planned out. They actually planned out most of this card further in advance than usual. Which is usually Paul Levesque's credit, probably. Usually some of the top matches are planned out in December to November. And then you kind of fill it in there, fill it in from there. This one, there's a lot by October that they had. They definitely been many changes since October. This was also, a ch this was a change. I can't say the day... The Lesnar match change and then it might change Monday too. I'm not sure if it's a swerve but I do know there were changes to the card and last week or two for whatever that was. So that was one. And then Russell votes uh, took to Twitter to tweet this. I'm told the highly anticipated, very compelling Brock Lesnar versus Omos WrestleMania matchup was the idea of one specific powerful person who pushed it through. And I mentioned there were several changes of the card, and Fightful Select reported that there were that there were people in the company that believe Vince McMahon is running creative, which the WWE source denied. But if you look at that, that's a Vince McMahon idea, okay? Like, that's a Vince McMahon idea, but Triple H has stated that he's taken ideas pitched to him by others in the company, and he is still listening to his father-in-law. So, and if you look at the tweet, they had a, a gif of Vince McMahon putting on a shade, and it got a lot of people talking. But when you really think about it, the original plan for WrestleMania would have been Brock Lesnar and Bray Wyatt. So, like, and that would that would not be a good match. It would have been terrible. Now, oh, now Steve Austin was pitched down. Like, I'm just now the first idea was for Steve Austin. Steve Austin was pitched about the possibility of wrestling Lesnar, but. Austin rightfully declined because it wouldn't make any sense. Now, as previously reported by WrestlingNews.co, 
He was slated to wrestle Gunther, which would have been a fucking great match, and they teased it at the Royal Rumble. Fivefold Select confirmed the report about Gunther versus Lesnar being planned in the in the documents. Had the match listed as of November 21st going into Survivor Series. Now, we don't know why this was nixed. And Fifo was told that Gunther versus Lesnar was not considered for any extended period of time. Bobby Lashley was on the table, which is something that I would have said, and it proved my point right there, at the Elimination Chamber, they should have ended it at WrestleMania, and you would have had the Hurt Business reunited. That's just me. And Bray Wyatt was also a pitch for Lesnar. Now, it's unclear when Wyatt was pitched as the opponent for Lesnar. The report stated, sources claim that Brock himself, Brock Lesnar himself, nixed the idea of facing Wyatt at WrestleMania. And for good reasons, because I've honestly felt the match would not be good. That's just me. I just feel like the match would not be good. Who had mentioned going after the winner of the Elimination Chamber between Lesnar and Lashley on SmackDown. All of this led to the plan of Omos versus Lesnar at WrestleMania. It was handed to Fightful that th- there was an undisclosed backup, but that it, that it is in fact an integrated plans. While Fightful couldn't confirm who pitched Omos versus Lesnar, they couldn't confirm that Lesnar approved the match. Now regarding Vince McMahon having an input in the match, Fightful was told by sources close to Lesnar that it had indicated that it could be true. Sources in WWE Creative stated that this wasn't a McMahon decision. This is according to WWE Creative. And that McMahon had no direct contact with Creative. So... Again, the rumors of, oh, Vince is back in charge of creative. I, I already squashed that down. But this is the backup plan. Now, the like I said, the match with Bray and Brock would not be good. It would be absolutely terrible. So that means Bray Wyatt will be going one-on-one with Lashley at WrestleMania. And it looks like that's the plan that they're going with. And... There's really not much I could say about it, but would you rather him and Bray Wyatt? What would be the story in that match? Or would cuz look, we all know Brock versus Omos is going to be short and to the point. You're going to see the visual of Brock picking up Omos, giving him an F5, a visual of Brock picking up a giant at WrestleMania, even though Omos has been picked up before by Bobby Lashley. But, um, that's just how I see it. Um, not really much I could say about it. Because, look, the match, like I said, not much I could say. But, I mean, you could have done a Fatal 4-Way, but who will look better going out of it? You could have you done a Triple Threat. Who will look better going out of it? Like, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to just bitch and bitch and complain. That, oh, this is... Like, I know this is not going to be everyone's WrestleMania match. It's it's not a WrestleMania match. If Brock did not want to do the match with Bray Wyatt, and he knew the match would not be good, Brock was playing, che- was playing chess. 
the entire time. Because I think he knew if I get in the ring with Bray Wyatt, what's going to be the story? People are going to cheer for Bray or they're going to boo Bray Wyatt. It wouldn't make any sense. Now Bobby Lashley is going into WrestleMania potentially to challenge, no, to face Bray Wyatt. I don't know where that's going to be heading, but just going to have to wait and see. Cody Rhodes and Chad Gable, they had a good match. They had a really, really good match. And Chad Gable, like, I heard a rumor, get this. I heard a rumor that there's been talks within WWE that they want to push Chad Gable as a serious in-ring wrestler and they want to move Otis into the comedy role with maximum male models, but Alpha Academy, they don't want to uh, break up. That's the rumor I heard. And look, Chad Gable's fucking great. He is absolutely great. But this was good for what it was. Cody Rhodes got the win, and Chad Gable sold the crossroads. Like, my God, man. It, it is just, ouch. Like, he landed on top of his head to make the cell feel even better. But Cody got the win, and he calls for the mic after the match, and he says, WrestleMania is 33 days away. He says, I have yet to step in the ring with Roman Reigns, and says, I'm ecstatic that Reigns will be on SmackDown this coming Friday, because I will be there too, so... That's going to make things even more intriguing. So, like, I thought this was fine. This was fine for what it was. We had Byron Saxton backstage with Baron Corbin. And Saxton said that Corbin requested this time, but he cut him off. And he runs over to Kevin Owens. Oh, poor Corbin. Couldn't even catch a break. So he asks Owens if he's worried about the consequences due to, um... Due to... His actions. And Owen says, I'm not. He says, everything happening to the bloodline was because of the consequences of their actions. And next week on Raw, we are going to have Solo Sokoa against Kevin Owens. That's going to be fucking good. But um, poor Baron Corbin getting cut off like he doesn't exist. The Judgment Day were backstage... Damian Priest tells everyone to rise for Judgment Day. And Dominic says, I had a little family reunion with Rey Mysterio this past Friday. And he rags on his father and then says he will be on SmackDown this Friday. Um, this Friday with Rhea Ripley during her match with Liv Morgan. He says he will show the world what a coward he is. Now Ripley addressed Charlotte Flair and says she didn't have to say a word to her because she knew when she stepped in the ring with her, she says she saw acceptance in her eyes, and she will walk out of WrestleMania as the SmackDown Women's Champion. Which, I mean, I thought that was a good line by uh, Rhea. Finn Balor then addresses Edge, and he says, our issues aren't over until I say so. So he challenges him to a match at WrestleMania, which more than likely Edge is going to accept next week, which we'll talk about uh, pretty soon. But uh, I'm, I'm actually excited for that match. That's going to be really good. We had Asuka versus Car- Carmella. This match lasted eight minutes. 
And rightfully so, Asuka got the win. I want to talk about the build for the Raw Women's Championship match. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. I am... I'm excited that these two are going to go at it one-on-one. But what is the story you're telling with the Raw Women's Championship? There's literally no story whatsoever. And I think that's lacking. Now, sure, it's going to be a great match. And so after the match, Asuka calls out Bianca Belair. And Belair comes out. And Belair says, she doesn't like your... I don't like your tone, Asuka. And she says... That I hope Asuka is there to talk about how they will tell, tear the house down at WrestleMania. Because you can't have WrestleMania without EST in it. And before Asuka can respond, Carmella attacks Bianca. She shoves Bianca into Asuka. And Asuka just sells that. Like, and the thing that's lacking with the Raw Women's Championship is... Who's the bad guy? Number one. And number two, what, like, what's the story going into this? If you could, um, like, if you could, uh, how would I put this? If I was booking this, like, you could go back to their history. Like, and if you would, if you want, do like a video package for Asuka. Like, how she found herself. And... Why is WrestleMania important to her? Like why like why she is like why she's going to win the Raw Women's title? Like something is missing for this build heading into WrestleMania. You got 4 weeks left. You got 4 weeks left to build towards um towards Mania. Cuz right now like the SmackDown Women's title has uh some importance than the Raw Women's title. And, and I just don't know, man. Like, something has to be done. Something has to be done. Because, so far, like, the like I said, the match is going to be great. But something is missing from this, this build. Like, we know these two are going to tear it up. But give people a reason. And I've seen people talk about, like, they bought Asuka back. She's got this new character, but she's still the same Asuka, which, look, I understand. I understand that. Like, a fresh coat of paint is still the same person, but if Asuka wanted to bring that that Connor version to, to WWE, then that's fine. But I just want, I want them to sell a reason for me to care about their match going into WrestleMania. That's all. Just a minor nitpick. Like, I just want to know what the story is. And I know sometimes you don't need a story to tell a match, but look, I think it's important to have matches that you could tell a good story. That's just how I see it, in my honest opinion. And that's one thing I, I like about myself. Well, that's one thing I like about pro wrestling. I, I want... A great story that I could get invested in. Now, our next match, we had Candice LeRae and Piper Niven. This lasted about two minutes. And Candice LeRae won with a roll-up via distraction by Nikki Cross, who was stalking Candice LeRae. And I also believe Candice LeRae has a new theme music. 
So I don't know where they're going with this, but um, the crowd did not give a shit. They did not give a shit about this match. Um, and that's a sad thing because both of these women are talented. I just, like, I don't know. They just did not care. Byron Saxton was backstage with Gargano, and he was proud of his wife for winning. Then says Otis approached them about having some hot action in the ring later tonight. Judgment Day walks in, and Gargano makes fun of them. Priest looks to attack him, but Balor stops him in doing so, and it says Otis will flatten him like a pancake, but if he doesn't, then I will next week. And Gargano accepts the challenge, which later on, Otis and Gar- later during the show, you had Otis and Gargano. This was this match did not last that long. You had Dexter Loomis possibly kidnapping Marseille again. And you had Gargano hitting the DDT on Otis right by the apron. The hardest part of the ring. And he hit the one final beat to uh, win. And that, that was pretty much that. So I'm actually excited for their match next week. I'm actually excited for Finn and Gargano next week. That's going to be fucking good. Give it time. I guarantee it's going to sell. We had Miz TV. We had Miz TV. He welcomes us. He welcomes the WWE Universe to Miz TV. Then says, before I bring out the celebrity guest, he wants to talk about his wife, Maurice, and what was in the envelope. And Maurice had given him so much. Then says, he wants to bring out the host of WrestleMania 39. And the host is The Miz. He says, I will make the hosting duties memorable. Then says, I er and he's irked that his wife had to even ask for him to be granted the job as host because no one else can do it like him. He says, nothing can bring him down, which brings out Seth Rollins. And Miz asks, what are you doing? Interrupting my special moment. And Rollins says, I don't want to rain on your parade. And Miz says, you've been doing that for the past couple of weeks. And Rollins says, he has delivered curb stomps because you were being a jerk and a b-hole. <laughs> I, I never thought I would hear b-hole on WWE tele. Like, what is, what is b-hole? <laughs> what is b-hole? <laughs> a butthole? I think that's what it is, a butthole. And Miz says, he's the A person, not a B one. Before Rollins says, I've been trying to get a hold of Logan Paul. And he says, he knows Miz has his number. And I, and I was wondering, could you do that for me? So he teases, pulling out his phone, and he goes, no. He tells Rollins, I won't do it. And brags about being the host of Mania, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. He eats a super kick from Seth Rollins, grabs his phone, FaceTimes Logan Paul, and Logan picks up and he and he tells Miz, would you please stop calling me? And Rollins says, look, Miz is out of commission. And he asks, how's Jakey Poo doing a- after his fight yesterday? So he challenges Logan to meet him face-to-face next week. 
and Logan accepts, and they're going to make the match official next week for WrestleMania. So he looks to leave the ring, but just for one good measure, he delivers a curve stomp to The Miz. I mean, that's a good pleasure. Kathy Kelly was backstage with damage control, and Bailey expresses the confidence in Io and Dakota's retaining their titles. This brings out Austin Theory, and he approaches Kelly, asks why the trio being interviewed and not me. He's like, I'm upset that John Cena's being talked about. Like, you talk about your hustle. I've been hustling, and look at where I'm at. Loyalty, talking about the United States title. And the respect, he's like, I respect Cena. But he says, I will be there when Cena appears on Raw next week. And I demand the same respect. So, oh, we're setting it up. We're setting it up and I like it. I can't wait to see it. But Austin Theory caught a really good promo on uh, Monday Night Raw. We had Bobby Lashley versus Elias. This match did not even last that long. Um... Bobby Lashley got the win over Elias. And he grabs the mic after the match. And, and, and before we continue. Like this is an example of filler. This is one of the examples of why they should go to two hours. Like the third hour. Some of them are filler stuff. Until you get to the main event. Now he says I'm not in a good mood. I won my match at Elimination Chamber because Lesnar delivered a low blow to me. Then says, I don't have time for for Bray Wyatt's kid games. He puts Wyatt on notice and he tells him, keep my name out of my mouth. Otherwise, I will hurt him. So he drops the mic and he walks out. And on the Titantron, he stops and he sees a video of Bray Wyatt doing the Muscle Man dance. And it begins to play as flashes of Lashley doing the dance appears. Wyatt then tells Lashley he should run. So, again, this is the start of their match going into WrestleMania. And lo and behold, I think this might be another sponsored match, a Cinnamon Toast Crunch match. Guarantee it. We go to Chelsea Green backstage complaining to Adam Pearce about being sent to Ottawa, Illinois instead of Ottawa, Canada. And Adam feels like, you're from Canada, you know? Like, and I know, and I know, uh, she didn't know the difference. So Carmella barges in and says Pierce wanted to, says Pierce wanted to see her. And she tells her, you got a match against Bianca Belair. And he leaves to take the call. And it looks like they're teasing a tag team with Carmella and Chelsea Green. I don't know. They banned over how rude Adam Pierce was being, so it looks like they're trying to set them up as a team. And I saw on Facebook and on Twitter that somebody was thinking about adding Aaliyah, who is really not doing anything. Maybe a stable for the women. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. And in the main event, you had the women's tag team title titles on the line. Damage Control defending their titles against Becky and Lita. And you had Trish. Trish. Even the odds. And the match itself, it was just 
it was okay, I guess, but we got new tag team champions. Becky Lynch and Lita are your new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. And like I said, I felt like they might do a title change. Because it could be an easy way to do Becky and Ronda. Now, judging by what happened, let's talk about damage control for a bit. Not saying they were doomed from the start, but my goodness, man, they have, like, it's potential, but the crowd doesn't believe, doesn't buy into it. And not only that, the women's tag titles, they're just not as important as it used to be. I don't recall when the women's tag titles felt this important. But Becky Lynch and Lita, they won. But Damage Control, like, judging by the direction, it looks like we might get a triple threat tag team for the women's tag team titles on one night. And you got Bayley taking on Trish Stratus for night two. Because, look, I think Bayley and Trish, that's that's a WrestleMania match. I would not mind that at all. But, um, I don't know where they go from here. Like, I don't know where damage control goes from here after losing the titles. It's just, like, it's just, I, I don't know. But not only that, this show, like, it needs to go back to two hours. Because the third hour is doing more harm than good. That's just how I see it. But, like I said, it was a boring show. What was not boring was NXT. I thought this was the best episode of NXT that I've ever seen. Like, I thought this was really, really good. You have Wesley waiting in the ring. You got a bunch of people brawling. Malik Blade and Idris Inafe are out. They argue, but on who should face Lee. Daba Kato walks through both of them. Thinking about accepting the challenge. Apollo Crews appears out of nowhere and attacks Daba Kato. And Nathan Frazier comes running in, and he accepts the challenge. And this match, this match will go down, in my honest opinion, as one of the greatest NXT North American Championship matches out there. This was awesome. Absolutely awesome. I cannot tell you how, how excited... I was to see Nathan Frazier back. Like, these guys work so well together. And honestly, like, that was the best televised match that is takeover worthy. This was a takeover worthy uh, match. And they got the crowd on their feet. Like, this was excellent. Uh, Wesley, he retained against Nathan Frazier. And not only that, what I love is how. It made the North American title feel so important. Like, something to fight for. And I I thought this was really good. This was really good. Um, We go backstage to Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen. And Briggs noticed something is wrong with Jensen. And Jensen says, Things haven't felt the same with Kiana James since the Valentine's Day date. Briggs hypes him up for and says... The Jensen from six months ago would be proud of him. Then tells him things will work out. And the pair head to the ring for their match against Enda Share, which they lost. 
And the match itself was, it was passable. So, Jinder Mahal grabs the mic and the, challenges the Kree brothers to the six-man tag team match with, and a partner of the, with a partner of their choice at Roadblock, which, spoiler alert, is NXT champion Braun Breaker. So, there it is. Um, but, but continuing with the Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen story, later during the show, Jensen looks to apologize, but Briggs tells him to save it and says, you need to solve this issue with Kiana James um, and Fallon Henley. He apologizes and Briggs accepts his apology, then says, he learned you don't get to do a lot of do-overs in life. So they hugged and that was that. Um, they did an interview with Hank Walker and Mitchell asked Walker if he was looking to capture the North American title or prove himself to Drew Gulak. And Walker says it was a little bit of both. This brings out Axiom who walks in and tells Walker you couldn't beat Lee if he wanted to. So he shoves Axiom and they were about to brawl until... Um, the refs and the officials, they came to pull a stop to it, which we had a match later on with Axiom getting the win. Not much to say about it. Um, we go to Nathan Frazier, who was being checked on, and they were about to do the interview when Katana Chance comes running in and says, we need medical officials uh, outside. And we see Wendy True clutching her arm in the parking lot. So this was a way, like, because this is a way to cover for a legit injury that Wendy True is dealing with right now. So, again, the parking lot claims somebody else. First, first uh, Nikita Lyons and now Wendy True. Now, continuing with the story. Mackenzie Mitchell was outside the lock, the me- medical office, looking for an update. When Tiffany Stratton says people should stay out of the parking lot. Holy crap. Tiffany Stratton is speaking fucking facts. Stay out of the NXT parking lot because it's dangerous. Now, before Caden Carter and Katana Chance um, walk out of the medical office, they tell Mitchell things aren't looking good. So Stratton is running her mouth and a fed up uh, Katana Chance challenges her to a match later tonight, which Tiffany Stratton won because she got distracted by Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. So it looks like that's a few with Katana and Kaden right there. And get this. Um, after the match, Stratton said that she's going to be coming for the NXT Women's Championship, which... I guarantee after Roblox, she's already the number one contender. So I feel like she's getting that title match at Stand and Deliver. And I would not mind if she wins it. I would not mind if she wins it. I think they should pull the trigger. Because I felt like that was the original plan. So why not? I would love to see Tiffany Stratton with that belt. And think about it. Tiffany Stratton against Sol Ruka. Sol Ruka took on Electra Lopez and the match was just meh. But Sol Ruka won. WWE officials are high on him. On uh, Sol Ruka. Tell me you do not want to see Sol Ruka versus Tiffany Stratton for the NXT Women's Championship somewhere down the line. Tell me that's not what you want to see. Because 
there's really not much of a, not much opponents for Roxanne after she gets through Mako Satomura. So that's pretty much that. I would like to see it. I think it would be good. But um moving up, moving up a little bit, we had an excellent excellent promo by Gigi Dolan. This was the best thing on NXT. I loved this promo a lot. Now, Gigi came out to the Toxic Attraction theme, and she says, cut the music because that's the last time anybody's going to hear that crap. She says that I can handle the physical pain, and JC Jane has put me through. She says this isn't the first time that someone close to her has hurt her, and and says Jane has made her realize who she really is. She says toxic attraction is all about the glitz and glamour, but that's not what she was. A, that's not who she is. She talks about the pain her mother had put her through, and how she ran away from home to show her little brother they could escape their abusive household, and I would make it to WWE, and what she did. And she says I will hammer the final nail in the coffin next week at Roadblock. This was excellent. And look, Gigi Dolan, as good of a heel she is, I think this is the best, uh, like, I think she's going to be a really great face. So I can't wait to see where this goes at Roadblock. We get a video of Chase U, and you got Duke Hudson apologizing to Thea Hale after her recent abduction before Andre Chase begins his lesson on factions, which... Surprise, surprise, this brings out schism on television behind Chase and tells Chase you Duke Hudson and Thea Hale to move under schism's tree or else they will dismantle them. So pretty much an enraged Chase challenged schism to a match, more than likely Joe Gacy at Roadblock. So that match is official. You had Mako Satomura and Zoe Starks. They had a really good match. With Mako Satomura getting the win and getting a little bit of momentum for um, her match against Roxanne next week. So that's that. And I mentioned Sol Ruka took on Electra Lopez. The match was pretty eh. But the story here was Valentina Faraz um, and Electra Lopez. Like, so after the match, Lopez gets in Ferez's face, slaps her, and Faraz uses the brass knuckles to knock out um, Electra Lopez, which she stood up for herself. So I don't know where this might go, but we'll wait and see. And I thought the main event was great. Tyler Baden and uh, Cam- Carmelo Hayes. <laughs> what can I say? These guys absolutely tore the fucking house down. They tore the fucking house down and Carmelo Hayes getting a win yet again and pretty much teasing that I'm coming for that NXT championship. So, overall, NXT was a really, really good show. And I can't wait to see what happens next for the final build to a stand in the liver. But we got Roadblock. So, here's the lineup for Roadblock. I feel like the women are going to main event the show. Is going to be Mako Satomura versus Roxanne Perez for the NXT Women's Championship. 
We got Tony D'Angelo against Dijak in a jailhouse street fight. Jinder Mahal and Indashir taking on the Creed brothers and the Braun Breaker. Andre Chase versus Joe Gacy. Gigi Dolan versus JC Jane. Pretty Deadly and Gallus to me face to face. More like to set up the match at Stand and Deliver. And the Grayson Waller effect with Shawn Michaels, which I feel like what they're going to do, like Grayson Waller wants a match against Michaels at Stand and Deliver, but Michaels tells him, I cannot compete. But I got somebody else who will, who wants to have a match with you. So you want to be the highlight reel. You want to be Mr. Stand and Deliver. Prove it to me. As you take on this newly signed prospect, Dragon Lee. And I feel like that's where we're heading. So, I think that's pretty much what's going to happen in NXT. So, And in the women's title, I think after Roxanne retains, she gets attacked by Tiffany Stratton and sets her, sends her a message. Stand and deliver. That's where we're going to get it. And then you got Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes. Stand and deliver. That is going to be on the card. So, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really good. All right, guys, you're going to have to bear with me on this part right here because my voice is a little shot. And um, <clears throat> SmackDown took place at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C., and I thought this was a really, really good show. I managed to catch uh, the show after the uh, the Wildcat show that I went to, and um, it was a good show. And the opening was excellent. The bloodline kicked off the show. It was Roman. It was Jimmy Uso. No Jay. Solo Sokoa. And Paul Heyman. The bloodline. The empire. Is crumbling. Within our very eyes. So Roman tells Washington D.C. to. If you guessed it. Acknowledge me. Which. we I, I always acknowledge the tribal chief. Because look. Roman Reigns is awesome. So. He immediately gets interrupted by Cody Rhodes, and I was so happy that they were doing a face-to-face uh, with Cody and Roman, and this was an excellent way to kick off the show. Cody said, contrary to what Heyman has told me, he is not here for violent reasons. I want to talk to Reigns man-to-man. He says he sees no reason for the rest of the bloodline to be out here unless he's scared. And so was Akoa. He wanted to throw hands. He wanted to throw hands. And Reigns tells Heyman, Jimmy, and Sokoa, leave the ring. I'm going to talk to Cody, man to man. And Reigns asks, what do you want to talk about? Like, <laughs> and he just stole, like, he stole his line. I love that. Um, Reigns asks if that made him more comfortable and he drops a no 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 he drops the title in the center of the ring and then he asks what do you want to talk about which is Cody's line right there now Cody says i want to talk about you he says reigns has been the undisputed WWE universal champion for 915 days and says he has become an impossible mountain for some to climb but that's my thing he said, I overcame being Randy Orton's sidekick. I overcame this Stardust gimmick. 
And he referenced all out, like all in by saying, I overcame hosting a little indie show with my friends. And he says, I will overcome Roman Reigns too. Now, Reigns asks Cody, if you've ever been in the main event of WrestleMania or competed for or won either of these titles, then says, I've done it all. He's like, I've been groomed for this since I was a kid. For the, since I was a kid for the spotlight that was by his own father and Dusty Rhodes. And then says Dusty was one of the first instilled confidence who first instilled confidence in him. He said Dusty used to tell him stories of main event in WrestleMania and being the face of the company. And he did it in a great Dusty impression. I got to give Roman his due. He knows how to good, pull a good Dusty Rose impression. Now, <clears throat> anyway, Reigns says he wishes Dusty was here and says Cody isn't the only one to miss him. He says if there was anything Dusty didn't teach Cody, then I will. So Cody says, Reigns didn't send Heyman to Raw, but rather to tell him the truth. Reigns offers his hand to Cody, as Cody says that must mean Heyman's comments about Reigns being the son that Dusty wanted. Means, uh, no, Cody says that means their match becomes a necessity. And the only way I can exist is by beating you at WrestleMania. And he said, may the better man win. And they shook, they shook hands, and I thought this was an excellent segment. They didn't have to throw hands. There wasn't a brawl or anything. It wasn't even needed. I enjoyed the segment. This was fucking great. And this felt like a main event build for WrestleMania. Like, I loved this. This was great. Absolutely great. We had Rhea Ripley against Liv Morgan. This was a really good match. A really, really good match. And, like, it was... And I, what I really loved... Here's the thing. Two things I loved. Number one, Rhea Ripley was... Like, she was looking at the camera when Liv was down on the outside. And she was t talking trash to Charlotte. Which was fucking great. And number two, Ripley didn't win with the Riptide. She won with the inverted Cloverleaf. And she bent the fuck out of... Uh, out of uh, Liv Morgan. And what I really liked was the fact that they showed a nine-year-old girl who, who was a big Liv Morgan fan. She was actually crying when Liv lost. Like, and I love it. Like, Rhea out here making little girls cry. That's that's great. Already she's doing great stuff. I, I, I'm loving this. But this was a really good match. Rhea picks up the win, rightfully so, because... She needs that momentum in four weeks going into WrestleMania. We go backstage to the bloodline. Now, Roman Reigns asks Jimmy if he's talked to his brother, Jay. And Jimmy says, I have. And he needs time. And Reigns is like, I'm running out of patience. And Jimmy says, I'll let, Rain I'll let Jay know. And Reigns clarifies and says, no, I'm not running out of patience with Jay. I'm running out of patience with you. And Jimmy says he'll let Jay know, and he walks off. So the 
Bloodline drama is continuing. I love it, but it's going to continue even more when we get to the end of SmackDown. We go backstage to Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio, and they run into Santos Escobar. Now, if you notice, there's no Cruz del Toro. There's no Joaquin Wilde. There's no Zelina Vega. Where is Legado de, where's the rest of Legado del Fantasma? And from what I know, Zelina Vega, from what I heard, she's in Japan at the Crunchyroll uh, Awards. So that's why we didn't see her. But that's why we probably didn't see her on SmackDown. But um, he walks in, he confronts Dominic, and he says, Rey Mysterio should have punched him last week. But he, get, he gets why he didn't and says, I can. And he talked to Adam Pierce. And he says Pierce granted the two of them a match. And he will be in the ring. Escobar tells Dominic that if he's half the man he is, that he says he is, meet me out there alone. But did he go out there alone? Of course not. He brings out Mommy, which by the way, Santos blew a kiss at Mommy, which Rhea Ripley did not take kindly of. So we had Dominic against Santos. I thought this was pretty good. And let me say this about Dominic. Dominic has come a long way ever since he turned heel. This was the best decision that this company has made. He looks comfortable in the role. They trust Dominic now. And honestly, he knows how to get heat. And what makes this better is Michael Cole on commentary losing his shit every time he sees Dominic. It is the greatest thing on SmackDown. So there was one part of the match where Santos um, showed the mask, uh, Rey Mysterio's mask to uh, to uh, Dominic. And he's like, "That that's your legacy. Do you respect your legacy? And Rhea is just screaming, don't let him talk to you like that. And Dominic just says, no. There was one part of the match where he has brass knuckles and that distracted the ref. This was all a ploy. Rhea pulls Santos, hits a riptide on Santos, which gives Dominic the chance to hit the frog splash, and he gets the win. Like I said, I thought this was good. And Michael Cole was losing his damn mind after the match. So he grabs Ray's mask, he rips it up, and Ray Mysterio's music comes in and he beats the shit out of his son. Nah, I'm just kidding. That did not happen. Now, Dominic is taunting him, and Ray asks for his mask. Dominic tosses it in the ground, and as Ray picks it up, Dominic delivers a cheap shot and, like, punches his own father from behind. And again, Ray Mysterio is being a wuss. Sooner or later, he's gonna, uh, he's gonna have to snap and just fucking attack. It's gonna happen. Just watch. It's going to happen. We go to Drew McIntyre, who comes out. And McIntyre says there's only four weeks until WrestleMania. But he doesn't have a match. And he's like, there's one person I want to beat up more than anyone. And that person is Gunther. He calls out Gunther to the ring, but instead, Sheamus comes out. And he asks him, what are, what are you doing? Going behind my back like this. And, and before I continue, um, he almost called Gunther 
a piece of shit, if I'm correct, but he stopped himself and he's he said schnitzel. When when in my life have I ever heard an insult of schnitzel? <coughs> but uh Seamus says McIntyre knows how much that Intercontinental Championship means to him. And because I've been trying to chase after that title for 15 years. Ever since I got here. And McIntyre. Now McIntyre is telling Seamus to calm down. And Seamus is. McIntyre. He said McIntyre knew he wanted Gunther at WrestleMania. And McIntyre said. He isn't his parent. He says he doesn't need to ask Sheamus for his permission. And Sheamus calls him a backstabbing bastard. He tells Sheamus, if you want the truth, you already lost twice to Gunther. Which is true. Clash at the castle in an excellent match. And a random match on SmackDown. Now, LA Knight comes out. And I gotta say this. LA Knight is getting the reaction that I want. He is getting over. And I love this. He's like, let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. He's like, if you're talking about the Intercontinental title, he says you can't have LA WrestleMania without me. And this brings out the New Day, like just a brief summary, the New Day come out. Kofi and Xavier Woods make fun of LA Knight. And he says, and Kingston says, Knight can't even win a SmackDown match, let alone a WrestleMania match. And sadly, that last part is true. Because LA, well, technically, LA Knight did win a match. He won a, in his debut against uh, Massey. No, it's Mansois, if I'm correct. And I was there when they rebranded him as LA Knight again. But um, Karrion Cross comes in. Um, Knight takes advantage and attacks the New Day. Sheamus turns around after watching this. And McIntyre looks like he's setting up for the Claymore kick. But he moves out of the way, hits a tope on Night and a New Day. Cross then levels Sheamus from behind. And that was the segment right there. That was the segment right there. And um, next week is going to be Sheamus, Drew, Karrion Cross, Kofi Kingston, and LA Knight in a fatal five-way match to determine who faces Gunther, if I'm correct, at WrestleMania. I still see in this being a triple threat match. Like, I could see Drew pinning uh, Kofi and Sheamus pinning LA Knight at the same time. And you got two refs um, demanding who won. So, and I could see Gunther taking on both of them. Now, later during the show, Kayla Braxton was actually backstage with Imperium. And Gunther said that Adam Pearce has done a terrible job because I have he wasn't given an opponent for WrestleMania yet. So, looks like next week we're going to find out. But if you want, if you want, you could add all five of them plus Gunther and make it a ladder match for the Intercontinental title. I will not mind that one bit. I think that would be really, really good if you uh, think about it. But I think it's still going to be a triple threat match. Uh, going into WrestleMania. And Sheamus gets his big moment. That's why I feel like it should happen. Sheamus should get his big moment. Because I feel like the Intercontinental title is beneath Gunther. And I mean it in a good way. I feel like he could do much more as a world champion. He's proven that as the Intercontinental champion. 
So, I thought that was uh, great. Shayna Baszler, originally it was supposed to be Shayna and Ronda against Natalya and Tegan Knox, But it looks like Ronda might have suffered a legit injury. And they did this backstage beatdown. Because usually if they do a backstage beatdown or a parking lot assault, that's the way of them covering up and a legitimate injury that's going on right now. Now, so here's what's going on. Although Ronda Rousey is sidelined with a real injury, the good news is that she is not expected to miss WrestleMania. On Friday's episode of SmackDown, the former SmackDown Women's Champion was slated to team with Shayna Baszler to take on Tegan Knox and Natalya. Instead, WWE did an angle that aired from earlier in the day where the two teams were in the backstage brawl and it was explained that Ronda suffered an injury. PW Torch reports that Rousey has aggravated a prior injury, and despite the injury, it wouldn't prevent her from wrestling at WrestleMania next month, where she is reportedly slated to challenge for the women's tag team titles alongside Shayna Baszler. So that's, at least that's good news, because if Shayna, like if, if Ronda missed WrestleMania, Shayna Baszler would have been fucked. She would have been fucked over, and that would not be good. So, like, again, this match was pretty short for what it was. Shayna got the arm bar. Tegan tapped out, and Tegan is selling that she might have broken her arm. So, that's... And I, and I, lo- I love that they're making Shayna Baszler feel like a threat. That's what I want to see. I want to see that NXT Shayna Baszler who was intimidating. That's what I want. But, um... We cut to Bobby Lashley, unannounced for Monday Night Raw. He makes a surprise appearance on SmackDown. Oh, and I want to mention this, and I forgot to mention this on the Cody segment. Cody hasn't appeared on SmackDown for seven years. Seven years. And I, I don't, like, I don't... Remember the last time he was on SmackDown? Maybe he was dashing Cody Rhodes at the time? If I'm correct, let me know. But Bobby Lashley comes out. Lashley says Bray Wyatt has been telling him to run. But I don't do that. He says Wyatt has started playing kids' games with him in response as he is too much of a coward to face me. So he calls Wyatt out of the ring. And there's a... Titantron of Uncle Howdy. And Uncle Howdy attacks him out of nowhere. And he's laughing at him. And the laugh sounds familiar, which is obviously is Bo Dallas. So, unless we get that reveal. Like, honestly, I thought this was the weakest part of SmackDown. But, I mean, it is what it is. But Lashley plants him with a spear. The lights go out and Uncle Howdy disappears. Like I said, weakest part of the show was this segment right here. But um, next week is going to be where everything is set for WrestleMania. We go backstage to the Bloodline. More Bloodline drama. Reigns asks Jimmy if he talked to Jay. And he's like, I have. And he asks him what he said. He's like, I need more time. Jay says he needs more time. And Reigns repeats what he said. And Jimmy says... 
He actually told me to leave him the hell alone. Rain says he's not understanding Jay's behavior. And none of this started until Sami Zayn came around. He tells Jimmy to accompany Solo Sokoa to get to the ring to get rid of him. And if he does, Jay will come back home. Jimmy walks off. And Paul Heyman's like, oh, that was good. That was good. He's like, no, no. He tells Heyman that Jay has one week to return. Or, or else, I'm not going to put the blame on Sami Zayn. I'm not going to put the blame on Kevin Owens. I'm going to put the blame on Jimmy Uso. So, more drama and I am all for it. And then we had the main event, which was Solo Sokoa against Sami Zayn. This was a great main event. Solo Sokoa won with the Samoan Spike. And after the match, Jimmy and Sokoa beat down on Zayn. So, Sokoa grabs a chair. Jimmy sets sets uh, Zayn's head up into it. Sokoa looks to charge at him, but Jimmy tells him, I want to do this. And he's like, you ruined our family. This is your fault. So, all that talk gave Sammy time to throw the chair at Sokoa. And he hits Jimmy with a halluva kick. And Sokoa gets up and looks to attack, but Zane escapes and retreats to the crowd. And we go backstage to Roman Reigns. And he is seething on what is happening in that ring. What a great way to close out the show. And I'm really excited for next week. And like I said, I thought SmackDown was uh, a really, really good show. Like, if you have to rank it for this week, I, I didn't watch Ring of Honor yet, but I heard great things about the Tony Khan era of Ring of Honor. So, Raw goes at the bottom. Dynamite is like third. NXT goes second, and... SmackDown is first. That's my ranking right there. I thought this week was uh was um good for SmackDown. But I'm getting the heck out of here, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Um, make sure you follow me on Twitter, Shino D Phoenix. Like the Facebook page, No One's Ready for Wrestling. Follow me on Instagram, Cool Man Sip, and follow me on TikTok, Shino D Phoenix. And if you want to email me your questions, please do so. You can email me the one and only Phoenix1993 at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you're from. And if we do a mailbag, I will answer some of your questions. So until then, take care, be safe, support wrestling as much as you can. And this Phoenix flies off into the sunset. I'll talk to you guys later. Have a great day.